if you're like me and you've been dreaming about being a filmmaker since you were a kid, we have our fantasies about how this business is supposed to be run, right? Or how we think this business is supposed to be run. And a lot of those fantasies are based upon stories that we've heard or things that we've read about the filmmakers that came before us. Now, I'm a kid of the 90s. I was born in 1978. So right around the time that I was paying attention to cinema was uh, in my right around the 90s let's put it that way and this was during the glory days the birth of uh sundance and film festivals and the uh the dawn of miramax and the uh push in the the hunt to find the next best director hollywood's biggest directors are coming out of the film festivals that was what we were told and it a lot of it is true right you have the uh tarantinos out there the uh rodriguez's the link you have um all of these like uh kevin smith's you have these directors that worked real hard uh supposedly like scrounged up the money to make an independent film and a lot of these independent films were edgy they were dangerous they were uh fun to watch and you know they go out to a film festival they get found they get spotted by agents they get spotted by uh producers and the next thing you know their career is jump-started and they are now directing the biggest movies in hollywood right this was what happened in the 90s now it's not the 90s anymore right so for us to even pretend like that strategy and was it even a strategy strategy then it was almost like right place right time for those folks but for us to try to follow that strategy and make a movie on credit cards and then go to the film festival circuit and expect to be picked up and expect to be uh the next big director in hollywood it's kind of it's kind of dumb to think that way because the business is completely different it's completely different now not only are we dealing with other marketplaces like streaming services? Not only have we been dealing with all sorts of craziness through COVID, through uh, the destruction of, uh, of, of Miramax, essentially, and all these other factors have changed the landscape of films and filmmaking. I mean, there was a whole period of time for a, a few years now that people like movies and theaters are dead. And then suddenly they're not dead anymore. Like they, honestly, no one knows what the fuck is going on, right? And so if you're a young filmmaker right now, if you're an independent filmmaker, if you're someone that has goals and aspirations to be the next big director in Hollywood, how the fuck do you get there? How do you get there? You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. This is my show. Welcome to it. If you're a newcomer, uh, you know right off the bat, or you're well, you're going to learn right off the bat that we we talk honestly about the business on this show. We talk honestly about the filmmaking business. We talk honestly about photography, and we celebrate. We try really hard to celebrate the men and women out there that walk away from their nine to five jobs, walk away from any sort of stability to uh, obsessively hunt down their dreams and their passions and it's it's a thing man it's fun it can be exciting it can be uh depressing it can be intense and uh on this show we talk about it all from a real honest perspective now 
If you've been listening to the uh, podcast for the past year, you know that I have been working on a new film. Uh, the I've been riding off of the success of 12 Cam and how viral my other films have been. And in the meantime, I made something new. And I made a movie called Come Home, starring my buddy Lance A. Williams, great actor, really good friend of mine. And the two of us, with a small team of people and my closest friends and family, we went and made a movie in the garage out back. <laughs> Literally went and made a short film out back. Um, and the process of making this movie helped me survive how intense Hollywood has been over the past few years. And so this film pulled me out of my depression. This film reminded me why I'm a director. This film reignited my passion for making movies. And we finished it. And for the first time in, I, I, it has to be over 10 years. For the first time in over 10 years, I have decided to submit one of my films to film festivals. Now, it's been a while for me. It's been a while. The landscape has, has changed. There are a shitload more film festivals out there. There's a lot more to sort through. And as I go through this process of submitting what I think is the best film that I've made, and it's a film that I know is good, it's great. I've shown it to folks. I've shown it to industry people before submitting it to film festivals. And I'm just sort of making my way through the festival experience. And we've had a bunch of rejections. I have been hunted down by false film festivals, places that feels it, you can't help but feel that like they're just looking for the submission fees and then uh, trying to sort of weed my way through like, who's a scam? Who's a real deal? What festivals should we submit to? What festivals care about their filmmakers? If I do go, will they give a shit that I'm there? Right? That's a big thing. And then when I do go, are they putting together events and filmmaker meetups that actually introduce us to other filmmakers. That's another big thing, right? Because let's, let's be real. You guys know this because you've been listening to me for a while. I am now at a point as a filmmaker where I've made quite a few short films. I have found my success in management and representation through the internet with my films. I did not find that through film festivals. And so there's a big question. Film festivals are expensive to submit to. Oftentimes, you're paying upwards of $70 to submit a short film to a film festival. It's crazy. And that's money that you literally just light on fire because it goes out and then maybe, maybe, maybe you get in. If you don't get in, you don't get a, any sort of rebate. You don't get anything from it. So it's difficult. And it's also really hard on your ego, right? Because you know, you, you've spent all this time, you've made this thing, you think it's really great, it's personal to you, you've, you've had to fall in love with this piece, and now you're, you're sending your child out to be judged on a stage, right? So there is this sense of protecting your ego, right? And making sure that, you know, rejections don't have something to say on you as a, and your talent, which they don't. Oftentimes, they don't. Most times, they don't. And so what I've been trying to do on this show is sort of shed light on my entire experience submitting my new film into film festivals. And you've heard some episodes where I'm completely fucking negative about it and been like, fuck film festivals. 
Right. And then you've heard other episodes where I'm like, well, I talked to and I've had guests on the show. And whether it's through our Fujifilm creator series, we've talked to other guests that have been in film festivals and talked about their positive experiences with these specific episodes. And so I then have decided I'm like, well, you know what, man, let's try to dig deep and to find the film festivals that are worth it. Let's try to go further with this and talk to filmmakers about what it is they like about film festivals and what those experiences have done for them. And how many filmmakers can we talk to that have actually got representation from film festivals? How many filmmakers can we talk to that have actually sold something through a film festival? These are all questions that I know all of you have. That's why you're here. These are questions that I have, right? Is it fucking worth it? Because I blew a few thousand dollars just on submissions. And I got into three of my submitted film festivals. Three. And I, how many did I submit to? Twelve? Something like that? Something like that? Maybe? So, yeah, man. Well, today, I'm excited. I'm excited because one of the festivals that we got into is a big one. And it's a, it's a well-known you know, they're, they're celebrating their 10th anniversary genre festival, Film Quest, we got into. And getting into this festival was exciting. They liked to come home. They accepted it. You get that acceptance letter. It's, it's a very exciting day when you get it. Congratulations. We're happy to say that we like your movie. <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> right? You're a real filmmaker. You know, <laughs> that's how it feels when you read those things. And then you, you get that letter. And you're like, okay, cool, cool. What, what, what does this mean? What happens next? And so I, I kind of want to take you all through it. want to take you through it. And uh, what's great is I reached out to the festival director and I said, look, I, I'm going to do this bit where I'm going to show up, potentially do some podcasting um, and uh, sort of talk about my experience with it. Maybe it would be cool if I talked to some of the other filmmakers that also went there and it would be awesome if like we can kind of collaborate on this um, so that I'm not just some fucking stranger on a street going, you want to be in my podcast? You know what I mean? Um, and they wrote back immediately and like, we want to uh, make this work and we want you to be the official uh, podcast of Film Quest. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. So here's, here's, the, here's the cool news. Um, I'm going out. It's happening in the next week or so. I think this episode will come out like a week before. So it's happening in the next week or so, October 26th through November 4th. I will be in Provo, Utah. Um, I got our friends over at Puget Systems. Puget Systems, if you're in the market to build an editing computer, uh, a graphic design computer, these guys are the ones that build the best computers out there in the marketplace. And they have been supporting me and sponsoring me for years, like 10 years at this point. Um, those guys are stepping up they are sponsoring our trip to FilmQuest. They're actually going to put us up in a big, big, big Airbnb. Uh, there'll be other filmmakers staying with us in the Airbnb. Uh, some of our cast and crew, friends will be staying there. Um, we're going to be doing uh, podcast episodes. I think from there, we're also going to be doing podcast episodes from the venues for the event. We're going to be interviewing all sorts of different folks um, in the talks, and it hasn't been confirmed yet, but Doug Jones is going to be there at the film festival. We're going to try to get him on the show. Uh, a bunch of other really great guests are there, awesome new filmmakers. I think they're representing over 300 movies 
while we're there. So your boys got the work to do this week. We're going to sort through them all and try to find the filmmakers that we want to talk to. Um, there's going to be a lot of content, a lot of content. And we're going to be trying to roll it out as soon as we do it. So uh, when we're at the film festival, your uh, podcast alerts are going to start buzzing pretty hard because we're going to be releasing stuff. And I think it'll all go out there. We may put out some special episodes for some of our super fans, but a majority of what we do will be released to you. Um, so you hopefully get to experience going to a film festival with me, with the team, with the crew, and with us. I'm excited. Are you pumped? You sound pumped. You happy you're here? You happy you listen to the show? Are you happy you follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy? And follow the uh, podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process pod on Instagram. If you stay there, make sure you're continuously following there. Lots of new updates are coming out. I will... It may have happened already. If not, I will be doing a big come home trailer release there. Teaming up once again with Puget Systems on that. And um, we will be documenting our trips to Utah. It's going to be fucking great, man. It's going to be wild. I know Lance is going to be out there. I think he'll be on a bunch of the episodes. Um, and uh, I, I just can't wait, man. I can't wait. Now, to get things started, we've talked a lot on the show about what we think goes on behind the scenes with film festivals. We've theorized on how they select people. We theorize on how they spend their money. And we theorize on uh, what our chances are of getting into these festivals. Do I need to know somebody? Do I need to get a handshake? Um, and I wanted to do uh, a podcast that was honest about this with someone that knows about this. And so I am talking today with Jonathan Martin. He is the founder and director of FilmQuest. So this is a guy who goes through the process of picking and choosing. He has his staff picking and choosing. He's dealing directly with film uh, filmmakers and films and uh, distributors. He's dealing directly with agents and reps that come to his festivals. You're going to get all the details on today's show. Today's episode should be taught in film school. Because you're going to get all the inside shit. No bullshit on the show today. All for real. Um, Jonathan and I talk about a bunch of stuff. What's great is that he is a filmmaker first. And so he's been making movies for years. Him and his wife are making films. Um, he made a movie called An Evening with My Comatose Mother, which is the most awarded horror short of all time. He's been to over 100 film festivals with this. So before this guy started to put together a film festival, he went and lived the circuits. And we talk about that. We talk about the things that he saw at other film festivals that pissed him off, that he thought was wrong, and that he would change when he did his own. He also talks about um, his goals for FilmQuest, the stuff that FilmQuest does for um, their filmmakers and their attending folks. But he also gives us some honest real insight into how some of the bigger festivals work like sundance etc etc so i get to put all the myths to the test on today's show jonathan shares a lot so get ready get ready you know the deal find a nice comfy seat you're going to take some fucking notes today so you're are you the person that has a, a journal and you write shit down there's so many young people that are like, what is a journal? Uh, let me just get my phone out. Okay, open your phone. Open up the notes section. Write some stuff down. Because 
if you are someone that is going to make a movie, if you're someone that has a film that's made, um, look, I just met a friend of mine when I came back from um, uh, Louisiana. I was literally sitting back in coach um, on uh, on the flight next to this guy who had his laptop open, right? And you're so close that you can't help but see. And I looked over and he had uh, Film Freeway open, which is the festival submission website, one of the bigger ones. And he had that open and he was just sort of rolling through and making a spreadsheet. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, uh, you, so you're, you're doing the festival thing, huh? And he goes, yeah. And I go, it's a fucking nightmare, isn't it? He goes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And him and I talked for like two hours on that flight about our festival woes, the things that we want out of film festivals. So this episode's for you, brother, because I know you wanted the answers and this is the one you should listen to. All right. Without further ado, crank up those noise-canceling headphones. Let's find some interesting track here. Let's start something. Hmm? Let's do a little genre thing. There we go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Thanks for being on the show. How are you, dude? Uh, I'm doing great, Mike. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I, it's funny, like as if we're just we were just talking offline, and we're both incredibly busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, we are this time of year, especially. So, uh, yeah. it's our time. Well, dude, I'm I'm excited to uh, be a part of the festival. I'm pumped that uh, our podcast is you know, one of the official podcasts of the festival. So we're going to be there all week. Uh, us hanging out, hanging out with filmmakers. Uh, it's going to be fucking cool, man. I'm excited. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a time. Let's put it that way. Let's, <laughs> I think this is going to be a time that's going to be remembered. Uh, I think you're going to end up being, I, I hope so at least I think so. And I hope so. And I believe so that you're going to get there and you're going to be like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is fun. And then it just goes from strength to strength. It gets better. <laughs> well, I'm pumped, man. Like we're flying into you. So the festival takes place in Provo, Utah. 
mm-hmm. which is cool. I mean, I've never been to Provo. I've been to Salt Lake, but it's beautiful out there, and I'm excited for that. And um, it's also like Mormon land, right? It's very, it's Mormon country out there, isn't it? It, it is. It is. Um, you're definitely, I prefer Provo to Salt Lake personally. I mean, I know there'll be people that say otherwise, but Provo is, it's a big college town, actually. So oh. you got BYU. Oh, cool. Brigham Young University. And you also have right next door, Utah is interesting in how it's set up. Not to give you the uh, a geography. I and, love it. Let's go. Geography <laughs> lesson, but uh but Utah is actually very uh, interesting. In fact, I just drove <laughs> through the whole state yeah, uh, two days ago. And uh, and what, I, what I'm getting at here is most people think, oh, rural, red rocks, mountains, skiing, all that sort of thing. But really from about north of Salt Lake to a little south of Provo, you've got two and a half million people. Wow. Um, this isn't just, you know, backwater, backcountry area. Now there's definitely some parts of Utah's like that, but what state doesn't have that? Sure. Um, but right next to Provo is another... A uh, city named Orem, and then we're basically all separated by just like a road. Oh, now we're into this town. Now we're into this town, right? And it's like that from basically Provo all the way to Salt Lake, mm-hmm. and that that that's uh, city Orem has Utah Valley University. So you have two universities that are converging right here. Hell yeah! That between the two of them is about seventy thousand students. And so, while that's not maybe Arizona state size or something like that, you definitely got. Um, you've got a big influx of youth and, and, and talent. And there's also an entrepreneurial spirit here. And, uh, and yes, we are in Mormon country. And as I like to joke to uh, the people of Provo, and in fact, I was just talking to the mayor about this and it got a big laugh. I said, you know, we're not the festival that Provo wanted, but we're the festival <laughs> Provo deserves. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. I like to hear that there's a lot of young kids there because, you know, we're, we're going to be screening a movie there and this will be, the first time that this film has screened in front of an audience. And this will be the first time for me as a filmmaker in probably four years, five years since I've screened in front of an audience. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the whole thing, man. Oh, this is going to be good. And I believe we saved you for last. Oh, is that correct? Yes. I believe you're in the final block of the festival actually on closing <laughs> night. And so, and you know, it's obviously a cool movie, but I also figured, you know what? He's going to be talking to people. Yeah. He's going to be hyping them the whole week. Yep. So they're all going to want to be there to come out and support you, Mike. Yeah. And so that's just going to bring an energy and like a pulse oh, to pumped. the whole to the whole venue and the whole arena. Oh, man, I'm excited. Yeah, because with this – so for those of you listening, we're talking about Come Home. So Come Home is officially in Film Quest. I've talked about it in a couple of other episodes, but that's what we're doing here. Jonathan is the founder and director of Film Quest – um, and uh, we're gonna get deep. I finally have someone that runs a film festival on the show, so I've got a lot of I've got a lot of questions for you. So I'm the first one. You're the I'm first. The, one. I'm the one that can I could tell you the terrible, deep, dark secrets of the festival world. Please. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're excited. We're screening in the festival. It's gonna be a big event. Um, but let's get into it with you. So um, you're a filmmaker first. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you start making movies? Uh, gosh, I probably started while I was still in college. I mentioned Utah Valley University. That's actually where I went, but I didn't, I didn't actually go into a film. I always kind of dabbled in little things and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Tried to learn here and there, but they didn't have a film program per se. And so I actually graduated in business, but while I was in my last semester, 
I filmed a documentary actually in hmm. um, in Central Europe, in Poland, in Slovakia, um, and that's how I cut my teeth. I was able to get a little money. I bought an HVX two hundred. Uh, went out there. There was there's some personal family connection mm-hmm. uh, that took me out there to cover a ethnic group called Lemkos, and this would have been I would have shot that in 2008. But as you're learning and doing things, it took me about a year and a half to actually like edit it yes. and figure that all out. So so I had a translator there. I had no clue what people were saying as I'm filming them. <laughs> I had to like vibe off them and feel their emotion to like, okay, do I do I zoom in? Yeah, I zoom in now because they're gonna cry. <laughs> that sort of thing. And so there was just like three of us doing this thing. And uh, so that that's when I started. But I typically say I really became a full-time going for it filmmaker after I graduated and uh, about 2010 and that played a film festival. And, uh, and then after it played, I got, I got a nice review and then I was like, Oh, but I can improve it. And I've still been waiting to improve it ever since (laughs) as far as that goes. It's just one of those things. I'm probably just going to throw my hands in the air and just release it one of these days. Cause it's not bad. It's just, you know, it's your first film and yeah. And you see what you can do and how you you just just improve it. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I got to do it. Well, there's some things I don't have the rights to anymore. So Uh, that's what I'm, that's what I got to kind of play with right i got like festival rights but i didn't get like streaming or anything rights with it Um, so anyway so that's how long i've been doing it i've been doing it there and then shortly after that i fell into genre filmmaking Mm -hmm. actually that's that's what i started doing well when you say you fell in what did you fall on the street and land in a puddle of horror (laughs) that's what it was yeah it was this big (laughs) slick blood um you know right there and it got real it got real messy there for a moment (laughs) and then after i you know brushed myself off it was uh, it was a eureka moment. No, no, no. I wish that was it. No, I I, I met with this actress actually at the time, and mm-hmm. this would have been. I mentioned my film premiering in 2010, so this was around. I, I mean, it was like shortly beforehand. There was um, that fall. Excuse me. I'm going to take a step back. Sure. Because before that short had premiered, mm-hmm. uh, that documentary short. And I met with uh, this actress who was local. Mm-hmm. We'd always talked about maybe working together and stuff like that. And obviously, we're all young and hungry. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to make a horror film. I was like, yeah, I think that could be fun. And we met. And I came up with this idea to do a uh, – we talked about it. It was like, it'd be cool if it was a creepy old lady and stuff like that. I was like, yeah. And it got <laughs> my brain going. And I remember I went to a wedding mm-hmm. that I was invited to in Indonesia. And so, so I went and it, by the way, if you're ever invited to an Indonesian wedding, apparently you have to accept, like you have to accept. I, I, I mean, just, just out of curiosity, I have to accept. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Like there it is. And so it was yeah. great. Um, and on that flight, I, I wrote the first draft and I was just laughing and chuckling to myself and what have you. And then for a few months, I tried to get it going and I was finally able to film it, uh, in uh, September of 2010, what was interesting was I reached out to that actress and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to do auditions, but you know, the role is yours. Cause we talked about it, all that. And she's like, and she like kind of ghosted me. Ooh. And then like about a week later or two, I like follow up again. She's like, Oh, is it that horror movie? That was like how she wrote it. <laughs> and I'm like, at that point I was like, screw you. <laughs> nice, great girl. But I was like, screw you. I'm doing open casting call. See, see if you come. Right. <laughs> and long story short, I ended up making the short film. It premiered in April, 2011. And it, pres- 
it proceeded to play over a hundred film festivals and become the most awarded horror short film of all time. So this is the an evening with my uh, comatose mother. Comatose mother. Yeah, yeah I love yeah, that yeah. title. And listen, as I say that, that doesn't mean that I think it's the best horror short out there. Not, I, I don't think that at all. Um, but it was it was over thirty minutes. I did all these things you don't do. Wild. Uh, okay. All right. But but it did very very well. It, it just kind of barnstormed on there. And actually, the feature film that I barnstormed on the circuit with. Uh, was uh, Mike Flanagan for Absentia, actually. Oh. So, so he was, I would be the only short film director that was like nominated for director. At the, I was always losing it. I was always losing to freaking Mike Flanagan <laughs> every time. And, and of course, this is pre-Oculus. This is pre, uh, you know, Dr. Sleep. This is way before then. This is his first feature film. Yeah. And that gets in, you know, his next thing. But that that's where it was. And him and I had emails and stuff like that, but we never actually met. <laughs> so there it is so why do you think the uh, short was so successful i mean 100 film festivals that's a big deal why do you think it was so yeah. successful um it just it's like a kitchen sink movie it just kind of has like a lot there especially for the time nobody had really tried to do what i did hmm. like they'd be like oh i'm gonna play five or ten festivals it's cool you know whatever and i was like screw that i'm just gonna play as many as i can and let's just do this thing and, um, and you start to build momentum with that. Um, you know, we came out of the gate screaming mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I think it was because there really was a lot of really cool makeup effects and you didn't in 2011, you just didn't quite see some of what we were putting into the shorts. It, it existed, but you didn't see it on the whole. You didn't see it as much as you did now. Oh, okay. And, and it was very colorful, the cinematography, um, it had a throwback feel to it. I mean, we shot it on a Canon 5D, but people would ask me, what did you shoot that on? What did you shoot that on? And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't shoot with that now, <laughs> but um, that was just what the DP had. And the DP was a dude named, uh, he became pretty YouTube famous for something called, he goes by Devin Supertramp. Hmm. And so this was a short that we shot together and he ended up getting, you know, he would go viral for a lot of his uh you know, his shorts that we put on YouTube and, and he ended up dating and doing a lot of videos with like Lindsay Sterling and stuff. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I'm sure you have listeners who know who I'm talking about. And, <laughs> and, and so there's, and so we ended up going off and, and going that route. And, you know, so there was quite a cool, lot of talent people, but it just had fun. The film was a little subversive. It's over the top. It's uh, you know, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just has some vibes to it that I think really resonated with a lot of people and it, and it was fun. It was fun. Ultimately you watched it and you just had fun watching it. Yeah. And, and I think that just lent itself to a lot of uh, things that contribute and, you know, without getting too deep into, um, into how festivals work, like more often than not, the, the films that they might not always be programmed because of runtime. But, the, but when they're programmed, they more often than not do better than the rest are films that are really about 15 minutes and over. Yeah. And, and so those are the ones that you often see, not always, but you often see those are the ones that win best horror short or they're winning best actress or they're winning best director. So it's because do there's you think, just more. Yeah. Do you, is it just because there's more screen time and you're actually able to connect with the characters more or is it like, what do you think the reason for that is? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, I think there's, I think there's that that factor that the audience can resonate. They can kind of settle in and enjoy the experience rather than like, Oh, that ended after four minutes, which has its great place by, by all means, but you're not getting a complete meal 
out of it. You're yeah. not getting a complete three act structure. And, and I think that that's what separates those films from the rest. Like you, I don't know if I've ever seen a five minute short film, like when best short at the Oscars, right? right. They're generally, when you really look at them, they're generally 15 to even almost 40 minutes. That's like where they are. Um, but a lot of those don't necessarily get into festivals. Like they kind of squeak in and then they get that ride and get on, uh, on that road to success. Yeah. It's why see, this is interesting because that one of my earlier films that I did, which was 12 kilometers, that one is over or just about 30 minutes. And I remember when I was putting that together, I invited in a couple of festival programmers that I know into the edit room. And I was like, just watch this. Let me know what you think. And they watched it and they really liked it. And I said, okay, what, what festivals do you think I should su- submit this thing to? And they're like, you're not going to get in because of the runtime. And they were saying that like 30 minutes and I didn't get into a bunch of festivals. And I assumed that that was the reason was that, you know, they were saying that if you program, uh, you know, a 30 or over short, then you lose uh, at least two other short films that you could have programmed in that situation. Is that true or is that just bullshit? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's true. It's true. No, uh, there's, there's, there's actually a few things to unpack with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is me putting on festival director hat, right? Yes. Is, um, and, and I do want to say real quick, what, what happened with Comatose Mother is unusual, and I don't think it would happen today, Yeah, is what I'm saying. Like, it was it was a perfect time and place as far as that goes. Um, it can happen, but it's it's unusual. Um, but coming back to it is, uh, yes, when you look at like a 30-minute short film or even a 20-minute short film, you start to calculate it. Like, okay, I could take six five-minute short films, and that's six potential attendees to the festival right. rather than one. But that's... That's a logistical problem, and I think that's the wrong way to approach it. And I think a film festival is approaching that as their first reason for rejecting a film. They're doing it all wrong. Mm. They're doing it completely wrong. They're doing a disservice not just to the filmmakers but to their potential audience. Mm. And 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 I think I think I think that's a con. If I'm going to be real, like you need to give, and I think this is one of the things that has helped us separate ourselves from the pack you need to give every damn film that has submitted that film to you a shot yeah and you need to take yeah you're going to weigh that in what its runtime is and you're going to look at it and weigh it out and yeah sometimes there's some it's just so prohibitive you know because you're looking at it all things being even and you have a 10 minute film that's awesome and you have a 30 minute film that's awesome and let's just say their scores are equal you're probably going to take the 10 minute film, right, right? Right. As far as that goes, but you still need to do your due diligence and give those films a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to kind of come in and, and offer opportunity as far as it goes and not always be looking at the bottom line because those, those filmmakers are, you know, one of the things people always talk about is like, well, you haven't done a feature film yet, or you haven't done this and how to do it. I'm like, I'm sorry. A 30 to 40 minute short film is half a feature. (laughs) And oftentimes some of these are better produced and have more money in them than a feature film. You know, like let's not play this game that just because the run times and the minutes I've seen plenty of feature films. I'm sure you have Mike that are padding their runtime with overly long dialogue scenes or, you know, with like you know it's a two-hander 
and or they or they're cheating in the uh, credits. They've got like three or four minutes of opening titles and they've got three or four minutes of end credits just so they could get to like 72, 75 minutes, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, for let's, sure. Let's not pretend. And I think, you know, there, there's a lie that exists out there. But, but you know, coming back to that runtime is at the bottom line, if it's good, then you got to take that movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Th- that's the bottom line. You've got to take that movie if it's good and it's better than you know, than these four or five or six shorter films. Like if that 30 minute film is better than that, that's your priority. And that's what you got to find. Well, so and, one, yeah. one hopes like as a filmmaker, one hopes that that's the case as a, as, but the, you know, there's a lot of realities that, that come to play when you get, once you get further down the rabbit hole of the movie business, right. And you start getting into, uh, you know, how our business works in Hollywood, which is like, it's who you know, it's friends you have. And then when you start talking about like a lot of the bigger film festivals, what I've heard, and whether it's through agents or management or whatever, is that there's a whole lot of like, you know, backdoor handshake placement stuff that happens on some of the bigger film festivals too. And I think sometimes when you're just a filmmaker making something and submitting it blindly without those connections, you feel uh, at a loss often, and because it, it, you know, to hear you say these things is great, but it, it like oftentimes when you're just sort of on like a film freeway or whatever sort of submission website you're in, you're like, I don't have any fucking connections. I don't have somebody in this movie that is going to draw you know attention to it, and then uh, maybe this movie that I've written also isn't fitting into some sort of uh, you know social messaging. Uh, uh, agenda that needs to be p- placed for a lot of these film festivals right now. And it just, it, it, I, I, and I'm not the only one that feels this way. I know a lot of other filmmakers that go through this process mm-hmm. where it almost feels like a fucking crapshoot. Like you have to have a few hundred dollars just to toss into a fire <laughs> yeah. with the hope that maybe someone yeah. will, will pick it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, a lot to unpack there and what have you. Um, and uh, my dogs might be barking. I it's all not, good. I it's fun. Don't hear them. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, no. What I what I want to say is is that uh, okay. So let's be real. Mm-hmm. Unless you're born with, unless you're a nepo baby, yep, or unless you're born with like a true sil- silver spoon already in the industry, or you grew up around it and all that, we none of us have connections when we start our runs and we start our careers. None of us, right? Right? Like. And that's how you have to look at the festival experience. And when you're diving into this world, a smart approach is you're going to build before you even shoot your first frame, you're going to build as part of your budget, a festival budget. And to be real, you need one to Mm $2,000. You got to, you got to do that. If you want to do festivals, you got to have one to $2,000 and you probably need another one to $2,000 that you set aside for travel for some expenses so that if you get into some of these festivals, you could go to three or four of them. Yeah. Um, let's just start there. Now, the next thing is when you dive into these festivals and you're absolutely right. And I do want to comment on that mm-hmm. on your points about having connections, having inroads and stuff like that. But let's go to the, let's go to the filmmaker that doesn't have any of that. You need to make it your full-time job before you submit your first film to anything to research, make your list, and research every single festival from their film freeway page mm-hmm. to their website 
what their past selections are, what the what the filmmaker experience and reviews are. Because you your goal, if you go in there blindly, you're going to waste your money on a lot of festivals that frankly do not deserve your time or your money. Yeah, right. But you but when I buy but but coming back to time, but you know that because you put in the time. You realize that as you looked at it and you looked at the testimonials and you just look at the quality of what's coming out, right? Listen, get get the illusions of everything playing in a in a 50-foot screen in a cineplex and all that out of your mind. Like there are some <laughs> great festivals that are tiny, tiny, tiny venues, and they're great festivals. There's there's crap festivals that play in the best cinemas. Like you just gotta put that aside, right? What what you got to look at next is that experience that you're going to get out of right. it. Right, that's the important. What's, what's going to come from it? Mm-hmm. And from there, now we mentioned the relationships, right? Believe me, the best films, and this isn't always the case. Um, let's just say a good amount of the best films, not all of them, not even half of them, but the cream does rise. Mm. And, and it might be a little bit of slug, but the cream does rise. I do want to comment on something you brought up, though, about the 30-minute thing. I know for a fact that if a runtime is not um, – if it's prohibitive from that festival's perspective or from the programmer's perspective, they straight up won't watch it. Oh. They straight up just won't watch. And they won't just do that. Some of these festivals really are grab bags. I mean, yeah, like money. It feels, it feels that fucking way. It really they does. They really are. I mean, I, I've got a music video on the circuit right now that is a pretty cool video. And it's played a couple pretty good festivals. And actually, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be upfront. I've never gotten rejected this much for any project of mine. And it's a pretty, I think it's pretty cool. And like, it's like 80 visual effect shots in it. It's lost in space. And I'll, I'm going to call out a festival. I'm not going to name it by name. Mm-hmm. It's a festival in a foreign country. And, <laughs> and this, this artist is from this country. And so we submitted it like thinking they're from this city in this country. We get a rejection notice. First of all, I'm like, what? And second of all, I go and look at my things and not even a ping from this country that they opened the file. Oh not my even God. a ping. Oh my God. And this is just a four minute video, right? Yeah. So, so when you have things like that, that you can observe and some people make excuses, oh, you know, Vimeo is not accurate. Shut up. This isn't 10 years ago. Sure. This sure, is like, sure. they've got this stuff. They know how important data tracking is. Believe me, YouTube, Vimeo. Frame.io, they know how important this stuff is. Yeah. Like that's built in there. And they're always improving these, the, the, the data and the algorithms and stuff like that. Yes, there might be little things that, you know, that are air. But when you know that, when you get a notice anytime it's opened and you don't even get a notice from that country, you know it's sus. Yeah. Right? Of course, dude. Of course. And so, yeah. so to kind of wrap it up with the, with the kind of thought on, um, on to go with it, believe me, once you start going, and you, that's why I say you got to budget. You need to go to these festivals. Maybe don't go to the hole in the wall one that you know is a hole in the wall, but go to the ones that you know bring other filmmakers, that you know attract eyeballs, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's a huge festival, right? It, mm-hmm. it took me with Comatose Mother about six months to get a really big festival on the circuit. Well, maybe four, but, but like four to six months to where I landed it. And then that took it to the next step, right? Like I had a bunch of selections, but then you get into some, and then that starts to multiply and roll over. And Mm -hmm. look, a lot of films are, you're not going to get into most festivals that you submit to. That's just a reality, different strokes for different folks. Right. But 
it's it's there is a festival out there for every film but you got to do your homework to find it and then you can start to build your network and your connections and then the last thing i'm going to say is uh my last short my last proper short that i did a festival circuit with was called creatures of Whitechapel, mm-hmm. and i actually played my my world premiere was at sitches or sitches um depending how you want to pronounce that mm-hmm. and that is the world's most prestigious and largest genre film festival uh it's the only one that oscar qualifies and all that and we were the opening night short now how did that happen well i'm not gonna lie the woman who starred in my in my film uh she had been a juror for sitches right. that now that didn't guarantee us acceptance it really didn't but it did allow us to get the short directly in the decision makers eyeballs. Right. And that's the difficulty. It's, it's not so much like, Oh, there's favors being done, which are happening, but it's about getting what you believe is a worthy film. Cause they would have still rejected us if he didn't like it. I, he really would have. Sure. But as I later found out when I got to meet him, all that he really, really liked it. And he hates short films just in general, right? He generally doesn't <laughs> like to watch those. He likes the features. And he'd tell me that straight up, you know, this is the, the director of the festival. And he's all like, I hate short films, but I really, really liked yours. So, but I promise you, I would not have gotten into that festival if it would have just been submitted blind. Yeah. 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 Interesting yeah. stuff. Okay. So, <clears throat> well, let me ask you some hard questions, right? That, that all the mm-hmm. filmmakers are, are wondering, how do film festivals make their cash? Is it is it, a lot of their cash is made off of the submission fees, correct? Is that Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean your big things is it's it's sponsorships, if you're lucky grants. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really can only get grants if you're a nonprofit. Um, submission fees, uh, the live event, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ticket sales to the live event, maybe merchandise if you have cool merchandise, which we have awesome merchandise. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, and you know, there's things like that. And, and I get it, you know, this is, you know, I, I can see where you might be going to. Yeah. I mean, to be frank, a lot of festivals, they're making their money off of the filmmakers, but that's really the only way, but it's kind of a, um, I'm probably using the wrong term here, but it's almost a parasitic transaction that's taking place on both sides. The filmmakers need film festivals and almost need to be the parasite of the film festival, right? The film <laughs> festival almost needs to be the parasite of the filmmaker in order for both to survive, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's where it is. So, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, a festival like Sundance should not be taking the fees that they are. Yeah. Because they don't even, they, they, the festival director of the uh, of Sundance, like three years ago, four years ago, look it up. It's on IndieWire. I, I like literally wanted to stand up and applaud, but it was just me reading it, right? So, like, <laughs> who was I going to do that for? Just straight out came out and said it. They said, the honest truth is, we maybe program five or 10 films that are sent to us through submission platforms. The rest we've been aware of for one or two years in advance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? So why are they taking a fee and making literally they're t- they're getting 14,000 submissions at about 75 to $125 a pop. It's right? ridiculous. So, say 100. so it's like, that's 1.4 million. Yeah. They're making. And it's just like, I get it. It helps it, but they, they, they should like, but they're not even when Sundance gets it. And I know Sundance gets at least half a million dollars from the state of Utah. And yeah. it makes sense to bring in a couple hundred million in economic impact. Right. Yeah. But to give you an idea where we are, I got $500 from the state of Utah and I'm bringing in 400,000 in economic impact. <laughs> Can you imagine what I could do with half a million? Yeah. <laughs> no? So it's, it's, but these are real factors. Our European counterparts, they get a lot of state funding. And so that's why their submission fees are like maybe five or $10, maybe oh, even less. Oh, interesting. Because 
they're getting literally millions of dollars from the state. Oh. So they don't have to. But here in America, where we poo-poo and look down on the humanities and the arts and stuff like that, sure, right. uh, we, it's, we're a free market economy. So, yeah. so it's a different ball game, right? As far as that goes. And, and that's why I, I and I get it. I, I get it. Like sometimes I look at a festival, I'm like, well, that's a little, that's a little steep, bro. Sure, sure. You know? Um, but, but yeah, that's your really, that's your model, uh, to make the money. Um, but, huh, huh, but interesting. Okay. The, the longer you become established, I mean, it took Sundance 10 years to become Sundance, mm-hmm. right? It was mm-hmm. X-Lies and videotapes in 1989 or 1990 that comes out and you have a confluence of events that are happening at that time. You have the rise of Miramax, you have entertainment weeklies coming out and latching on to Sundance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that happened that created a perfect storm for Sundance to become what it became. And, but once you hit a certain point, and you have certain statuses, and you have uh, a tenure, so to speak, like you've, you've been blooded, mm-hmm. you can start to get real money from grants and stuff like that. That can then trickle down to more benefits for filmmakers right. and more opportunities and stuff like that. Because now you can f- afford to fly out, say, the head honcho of an agency or something like that to discover, right? Right, like, right. Um, there's a lot of things that happen. And one of the things that we're starting to notice more and more is – I'm getting cold calls from just agents and managers wanting to discover talent and they want the insider scoop on who should I be looking at? Uh, I got a call from one. He's like, I want diversity. Mm-hmm. Who do you have diverse? That's who I want to look at. To represent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Stuff yeah. like that. Sure. And I'm just like, well, I, you need to come to film quest. Cause I'm telling you right now, this is the future yeah. of genre cinema right here. You're going to get more of them here and the people that are pushing things. So, well, <clears throat> so what, uh, why, why did you start a film festival? What was the what was the reason for that? That's a good question. That's a good question. And there's a tale to tell, my friend. All right, let's uh, go. No. <laughs> um, so so in 2014, so I was I was in post production on my second narrative short mm-hmm. called uh, "Kiss the Devil in the Dark," and uh, that one was kind of cool. That one, uh, while I that was my least favorite filming experience, production experience for various reasons. That's a tale oh, for another day. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, but it had some cool people in it. It had Doug Jones in it cool. and Rita Acharya from Game of Thrones and stuff like that. It was cool. Um, and I co-directed it with my sister is what I did because I was blooding. I was getting her bloodied and getting her, uh, you know, into the whole thing and, and what have <laughs> you, my younger sister. And uh, so I was in post-production uh, and I was, I was meeting some people for some visual effects that were in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And while I'm in this meeting, um, there's a guy who's there. And he uh, kind of sees like these monster and creature effects. And he's all like, okay, who are you? And he starts asking me some questions and he's all, Hey, why don't you come across? And he was starting up something that summer called fantasy con. This is 2014. Mm-hmm. And this is like March, 2014. And uh, he goes, uh, it could have been February, but who cares? And so coming back to it is, he says, uh, they proceed to present to me that they're going to do a film festival at FantasyCon um, in Salt Lake. And everything they tell me is like absolutely what you should not do for a film festival. <laughs> and I just straight up told them, I said, this is what's going to happen. This is the nightmare you're going to have on your hands. This is why you don't do these things, you know, blah, blah, blah. That resonated with them that night. He basically called me and offered me to run their film festival. And I said, well... I'll do it if it's a separate entity and I get to 
control it all. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it started. So I had four months to put on the first film quest. Wow. It was six days. The first three days were in the, uh, the dog baby park and out there, but we'll be good. I had three days to, uh, um, I had three days to, uh, at, at a cinema, at a cinema, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then three days on the convention, like at the salt, uh, salt palace convention center in, in salt Lake. Hmm. And so we had to set up the screen and all that. And probably the best part of that was just getting it going, meeting some people. And at the end, um, at the end of the ceremony, we had like this joint award ceremony. So in front of like literally two or 3000 people in the giant conference hall, we were doing like the final closing award ceremony. Right. <laughs> and, and that's how it began. And, and, you know, there were literally screenings that we have four people in, you know what I mean? And sure, I think that sure. could be, you know, for those who are thinking of festival, yeah, that's going to happen. You have to realize, I mean, they, for us being a partner of them, they like did not announce that a film festival was even happening during the whole time. It was like, it's like, what am I doing here? So we just, at that point we became our own thing. And then we kind of had a relationship the second year. And then it was, it was because they only lasted one year Hmm. and then it was a clean break after that. And so that's what kind of fell into my lap. And we created this thing and I knew it would be a genre festival, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, the beyond, not just limited to fantasy or horror or something like that. It could be all things genre. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's other factors that we could tell into it. But I brought on board with me uh, my assistant director, Jonna Jackson, and um, and she was the production manager for ScreamFest. And when I played there in 2011, we became really, really good friends. Oh, cool. And so she came on board. Um, and, and that kind of that having that right hand was a big help. And I also had, uh, our deputy director, Richard Teasdale, who actually came up with the name film quest. Right, it is time to show some love to the sponsors of today's show. Now, right up front, our friends at Puget Systems. Not only does Puget Systems sponsor the podcast, but they're also sponsoring our adventures out to FilmQuest. Without Puget, we wouldn't exist. Show them some love right now, please. Go to Puget Systems on Instagram and leave a note on any of their posts, write them a message and say thank you. Thank you for making uh, it possible for Mike and his team to go to FilmQuest, for us all to go to FilmQuest. It is because of Puget that we're here, and Puget makes the best computers out there for editors. I'm telling you, if you're a video editor, if you're a filmmaker, the rumor, the myth is that you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on an Apple or a Mac, and it's bullshit. You can have a PC, a PC that is built for you. And I know some people are afraid of PCs still. Don't they crash all the time? No, they don't. My PC has literally been on for weeks and I've been using it for weeks and it hasn't crashed once. I don't think it's crashed in the past year. And I've been cutting all my movies on it. I cut episodes on it. I do all my work on it. Go to PugetSystems.com. There you can buy and build a PC based upon the software you use. Now, what's great about Puget is that they're a small company. They're a family-run company. They know every one of their clients by name. 
Their customer service is amazing. And what these guys do, they don't manufacture hardware, so they're not going to peddle off some warehouse full of bullshit on you. They go out there and they benchmark test and they try out all the new gear that shows up and they put it to the test with all these new software updates. And guess what? Some of the results may say that it's not worth spending all that money on that new graphics card. Two or three generations before do just as well. These guys do all that research. So if you're even if you're just someone that's building your own PCs, you should go to Puget Systems as a resource because they post all this on their website. It's crazy, right? These guys are nerds and I love them for how nerdy they are on computers and they love, love creators. These guys, I, it's, it's a sin that they're not gonna be able to come out to the film festival with us. I'm trying to beg them to come out to the, to the space. It's awesome, you have this big old fucking Airbnb that we're all gonna stay in. It's gonna be crazy. Anyway, PewDieSystems.com, the place to go. Build yourself a new computer right now. Do it from Puget, I can't say it enough. All right. Also supporting our show, our friends over at Fujifilm. Fujifilm is the place to go if you're looking for that all-in-one video photo camera. Their new GFX 102 is insane, dude. Have you been to Fujifilm's website recently? Go there now. Do it right now. I'm doing it with you. The link is in the description of the episode. Just scroll down, click one of those links. Uh, and then go right here. Look at this. Performance makes meet creativity, the GFX 102. I'm in. Now, here's what I, this is the camera that I have been hinting at because your boy knew about it for a while. And uh, when I had talked to them, I, I got pulled into a uh, test room. So they, br they brought in a bunch of filmmakers and they were asking us questions on what we would like from new cameras and what kind of stuff that we look for. I was part of that test group, which was kind of cool to be a part of that. So I know all this shit, man. And these guys are inadvertently, they're going after the big boys. So this is like more than full frame. New beginnings don't start with taking, new beginnings don't start with taking new steps. They start with moving in new directions. And every new GFX camera system has taken a direction that has redefined what it means to be more than full frame. So, in the past, like the GFX 100S, sure, it shot video, but we were mostly using it as a full, full frame, large format still camera. These guys have figured out how to take that same chip and do it for video. So it's competing with, you know, the Alexis out there and the Reds out there right now. And it has one of the best auto focus tracking system on the marketplace. You can get lens adapters to put PL mount lenses on this thing, and you could be running a completely affordable large format camera. It's nuts. It's crazy, man. Uh, like I said, go to the links in the description of the episode. I'm scrolling through here. I want to read you guys some new stuff. Power and precision for video. 4K 60p, 8K 30p, FHD 120p, 422 10-bit internal recording proving itself as a hybrid powerhouse. The GFX 102 offers all those formats in camera recording. ISO 100 can also now be used as a standard movie sensitivity for the highest quality footage. It's pretty crazy. If you go right now, go to the Fujifilm website, 
they show you the sensor, they show you all the different formats and what'll fit on this sensor. It's nuts. Support from, uh, for multiple Cine recording formats, in addition to the GFX large format, GFX 102 supports various Cine recording formats, including uh, Premista 35 millimeter and Anamorphic 35 millimeter with a basic GF to PL adapter, which you can get um, from any of the other companies that we've had sponsoring the show. Cinematographers anywhere can use the GFX-102's massive imaging sensor with some of the world's most legendary camera optics, including Fujinon's collection of uh, Premista and Cabrio zoom lenses, which are pretty awesome, for storytellers with wider aspirations. There are also two different high-resolution 35mm FF anamorphic recording modes so you can actually shoot in recording modes for anamorphic in this camera that provide a various, a variety of different de-squeeze monitoring options. That's the big thing. That's the thing that pissed me off about the Alexa, right? And I didn't know this. Uh, in order to de-squeeze your monitor output on an Alexa, you have to pay a subscription. <laughs> what the fuck? I learned this when I was at Boca. Crazy. Anyway, lots of exciting news with the new GFX 102. Click the links in the description of the episode. Fujifilm is asking how many people are looking at this camera right now. Go on over there, check it out. Check them out on Instagram. And if you see their camera post, say, hey, I heard about this on In Love With The Process. Let them know. And look, I know you hear this all the time. I know you hear from, from people that have their YouTube videos and stuff like, ring the bell, subscribe. This shit that I'm telling you to do when you click these links, it's essential for the show to keep going. I don't charge you for these episodes. Just click the links. That's it. That's it. It keeps it free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, supporting the show, our friends over at Boca Rentals. Now, let's say you're going to shoot with this new GFX 102. And if you live in Los Angeles, if you live in Las Vegas, get your hands on one of these Fujifilm cameras. Then just go on over to Boca. Go on in there play around with the lens selections they have because I'm sure they'll be interested to see how their stuff works on one of these cameras. Head on in there. They have some of the best lenses in the marketplace, anamorphic lenses, all sorts of large format lenses, all sorts of like really distorted vintage lenses. They have everything, camera support system stuff, and they love to work with independent filmmakers and independent cinematographers. Go to BocaRentals.com, check them out, check out their inventory, Go to Boca Rentals on um, Instagram. Check out all their stories and their posts that they post about how their gear was used for different things. And if you go to Boca Rentals, take a picture of yourself there. Tell them that I sent you. You might get something for it. Tell them that I sent you. Take a picture. Send it to me. Let me know. Boca Rentals, the place to go if you're in Los Angeles, if you're in um, Las Vegas. And honestly, you might want to talk to your local rental company if you're out in the middle of nowhere and find out if they sub rent from Boca, because you might still be able to get access. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Finally supporting the show. Our friends from black magic design are back. They're back and they're here and they're excited about their Da Vinci resolve. I think it's 18.5 is the release right now. Excited about it. I use it for color grading. I've used it for, for editing. I'm trying to make my way over to the editor because there are so many interesting new AI technologies that they're using in the program for syncing, for masking, for tracking. Hold on a second. Da Vinci. 
Let's go to their website. Let's see what's up. Ooh, combines it. Editing, color, and visual effects, motion graphics, and audio posts all in the same place. DaVinci Resolve 18. What's new? Let's see. Let's see. What's new? Uh, DaVinci Resolve 18.5 introduces dozens of new tools, including four new AI tools. That's what I want to know. Over 400 feature upgrades and major updates to the cut page. Editors can now transcribe audio. That's cool. In the program. That's a big thing. We used to have to pay transcribers whenever we did documentary stuff. Right? Because then some producers and directors like to edit on text, which I never really liked. You don't really hear the voice. Uh, so you could transcribe audio within clips to search for media based on narrative content. That's crazy. Well, those producers will love that shit. Or quickly generate subtitles for timelines with the automatic speech-to-text feature. Can you do it in different languages? That's interesting. DaVinci uh, Neural Engine AI can analyze and automatically sort audio clips based on a classification. Wild. And the Fairlight page audio tracks can now be grouped for faster mix automation and editing. So if you're going to sync stuff. Colorists can uh, now use the relight effects to virtually light your scenes to add, add lighting to a virtual sequence so you can change the lighting in it. I've seen some tutorials. You guys can find this stuff on YouTube. Look it up. I saw this guy who shot a house during the day um, and was able to relight it using the relight software to make it feel like it was at night and to actually add light to the light bulbs and the fixtures that were in the outside of the house. It was pretty crazy. VFX artists can collaborate more easily with support for USD files and work faster in the multi-merge tools. So they're also working hard with cloud, Blackmagic Cloud and all the cloud stuff. That's the big thing right now is all these cloud camera systems. I know Fujifilm does it, where you're shooting and uploading directly into your edit system. It's pretty crazy. What is this? Intelligent media management. DaVinci Resolve 18 adds intellig intelligent media location management so that when you're collaborating, you can quickly link media to your unique FAT pile. Jesus, I fucked that up. You can quickly link media to your to your unique file paths. That was so hard. Now you don't need to manually relink or search for assets when you work remotely. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Remote monitoring to desktop iPad or iPhone, you can now initiate remote monitoring using just the Blackmagic ID and a session code. What does that mean? Without having to deal with IP address, that's cool. You can stream to multiple computers, iPads, or even iPhones at the same time while you're working. That's nuts. Come on, man. Adobe is like really dropping the ball on their stuff. Presentation reviews, timeline locking with bins. There's so much interesting stuff here. So if you guys haven't tried out Resolve yet, go to blackmagicdesign.com. I think there's still just a free version of Resolve. I think it's still free. Yep, you can get their basic for free, free download right now. And then if you're gonna upgrade, I think if you're gonna do larger formats, you gotta buy the upgrade, um, but uh, that's nothing. It's like 295 bucks here on the website. It's absolutely nothing. So uh, I'm excited. Black Magic, DaVinci Resolve, check it out. Finally, before we get back to the interview, 
Uh, if you like this episode, you want to listen to more episodes it's curated by subject material, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. That is also the place to go to uh, go to our Superfans blog section so you can see what the Superfans are saying about 12KM. You can read all of my posts on my favorite top three movies from different subgenres. So it's a place to go if you're looking for movie ideas to watch. It's all at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Let's get back to the show. After traveling and doing all of the film festivals with your films, and you've over 100 uh, festivals with one of those films, I'm sure you've seen things in festivals that you were disappointed by, or you're like, this is kind of lame, and if I do a film festival, I do things differently. So what were those things? What were those things that irritated you about uh, the film festivals? Um, I mean, the things that irritated me was when I would go to a festival, and I'm literally, outside of maybe some locals, one of maybe two or three um, who are from, from out of state and they, they didn't care. It was like, Oh, okay. You're here. And it's not that I needed like a red carpet treatment, but it's like, listen, I just spent money to get yeah, here. Good money. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've done this and you're acting like you couldn't even be bothered that I'm here. Hmm. And so that, that was, that was one thing to see. Um, presentation, you know, for me, I learned very quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't, the screen that mattered. It was the presentation that mattered. What do you mean? Does that make sense? By that I mean, like, I didn't need a fifty-foot screen. Mm-hmm. I needed, I needed it to. I just needed it to look good, to sound good. Yes. Um, yes. Have a good environment, right? I, I, it couldn't feel stale and cold. I mean, that's what I couldn't wait to get away from after that first year. Was I'm never doing a convention thing again, right? Like <laughs> pop up there. It's, it's, as cool as you can make that, it's always going to feel stale. Of course, you know, of like course. it's always going to feel like there's no personality to it. And so, so when you have that going on, that's just, that's just a factor. Yeah. Um, so these are certain things that you're looking at it as like, it's that presentation, it's the quality and these things start to add up, right? It starts to send a message to the filmmakers. Oh, this festival cares. Yeah. This festival is going to, they're doing something a little different. They're doing something that makes me want to come and attend rather than be maybe on the fence of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and those were our hallmarks right from the get-go, again, through the Film Quest Cthulhu Trophy, uh, having that amazing, awe-inspiring award that you covet, that you want on your mantle, that you aspire to. I, we literally have filmmakers that it is their goal and mission to win one of these, and we'll make a movie <laughs> just with the purpose of trying to get into the festival to get this award. <laughs> and, uh, and, and to share that, the other thing was quality programming. Yeah. Quality, great programming. I've been to too many festivals where it's just like, well, what, what is this buffet? Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Uh, exactly. Like, you're, you're serving fucking Italian pasta with uh, dumplings. In this yeah, <laughs> like, I, I don't understand what's going on here. So am I like the only horror <laughs> film? Is there another horror film? What is this movie that I'm playing with in the same block Ugh. that's about, you know, uh, about like, you know, somebody trying to prevent their kid from making a bad decision. Like, I don't get this, like what's going on. And, you know, I've played some big festivals where uh, like some, some noted ones that, uh, and it's not to toot my horn. Like it's really not. And it, cause it makes me start to have self doubt, 
Because as I'm watching it, I'm like, am I the only one that's good or do I just suck? Yeah. <laughs> Everything else I'm watching. Like, exactly. And then it really starts to mess with your psyche, you yeah. know, a little bit, right? Because you're like, oh, like, why am I here right now, right? Like, Well, dude, so, then- so I, I have very similar, I've had very similar situations with film festivals myself where you, you go in, I had a film festival where it was it was in a hometown, so it was back on. I'm not going to name the fest, but it was back at home in Boston, and uh, you know I put one of my movies in it, which I had a lot of local fans at that point. So it's like, dude, I'm going to fucking sell this out. Like I'm just going to be the one short in this thing that's local. So this whole audience is going to be us. It's it's just going to happen mm-hmm. that way. So we go into this screening. It was like a fucking pop up screen in some bullshit back room somewhere. Like there was no signage, no no sort of uh, welcome to the fact. Like we had to like walk through like back rooms to get there, and then their sound system sucked so hard. And we were closing out that festival run, and I felt terrible for the first two films that the sound was blown out. And literally, I had to get up and go over and fix the fucking sound for the te- for the the volunteer tech who didn't even know what the fuck was going on in it. It was such a horrible experience. And then as a, as a filmmaker that has fans that are coming to see the movie for the first time, their palate is being wet by this terrible experience. And so by the time they get to your piece, they're frustrated, fed up. And I feel the same way with a lot of programming. Like if, if it's programmed incorrectly and you're like, what the fuck is screening? This is what's opening. This is what's setting the palette for my movie. Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. It, it's, it's about quality. That being said, as a side note, one of my, one of from comatose mother, one of the best audiences I ever had was like in the worst screenings <laughs> that I've ever, it was literally a sheet on a wall with, uh, laptop speakers turned away from the laptop towards the <laughs> audience, but they like lapped it up and went nuts for it. It was that, it was kind of, that was one of those I- interesting experiences, right? That told me, okay, presentation matters, but so does, but even more so the quality of the films. Yeah, right? that's very true. And, and, and so that's, that's the thing coming back to what you're saying is you've, when you put great films together again, like I said earlier, different strokes for different folks. But what I often say is, look, I can't promise you you're going to love everything at the festival. But what I can promise you is you're going to find something you love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And and fortunately, a lot of people love a lot of things because this is what happens. And this comes back to the connections, to getting the relationships, all that. Mm-hmm. What happens when you go to a film? Let's, let's, let's just be real. If you have, you're the only one with a good film. The only one with even a film that like, in a way, you're almost like, oh, I shouldn't even be here mm-hmm. because head and shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just being speculative. Now, do you really want to meet the other filmmakers? That's the, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. So now what happens when you're in there and you're like, and you thought you were the big bad boy. And you come on in and you're like, holy crap, I'm one of the three little pigs that just got his house blown down. <laughs> <laughs> it's true you, you know what i mean and now you're seeing this and it doesn't just happen once it doesn't just happen twice it's happening over and over and over again now what do you want to do you, you want to go meet and meet those filmmakers yeah, yeah. you want to but then you also have a cool film 
right? That might be what you're feeling internally, but inside their hearts, they're like, holy crap, this guy just ate my lunch. You know, <laughs> holy crap. They just stole my girlfriend. Like this is what starts to happen. And now you're gravitating because now there's no shame. There's yeah. no embarrassment and yeah. getting to know each other and all that sort of thing. I mean, I don't want to call out some big festivals, but there was a, there was a short film that got into Sundance a couple of years ago. And I was like, reject. It was so bad. It yeah. was so bad. And it was like, <laughs> amateur on every level and i remember i'm going through because i before we you know reject everything or approve it we double check everything just to make sure there's like a whole you know checks uh you know checklist that we go through uh-huh. and i'm looking through its selections and it says sundance and i'm like what i was like that is a lie there is no way this film got into sundance <laughs> sure enough through my research world premiered at sundance like a few months before and i was like that is criminal. Like, <laughs> I don't know who they know. I don't know who pushed that thing. Yeah. But could you imagine being there in Sundance and that film comes up and you're like, the filmmakers are all excited and jazzed and they're just pumped. And of course they are right. Yeah. But then, um, um, but then, you know, they're all jazzed about it, but the, everybody else in the audience is thinking what I'm thinking. <laughs> How is this here? You know, yeah. like you're pro- and so when they're done with their Sundance, they're like, oh, my career is going to take off mm-hmm. when really mm-hmm. you might, it might've hurt your career more mm-hmm. than it helped, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the importance. And that comes back to, there is a sacred, there is a sacred mantle that you have to take on as a film festival. And, and look, we all have hit or misses, right? And there's reasons certain films get into festivals. It's true. Mm-hmm. There are. There might have been somebody that helped out with the festival once upon a time. And you're like, okay, we'll throw them a bone. Things like that, right? As sure. far as it goes. Uh, that That's real. That happens. And I think that's understandable. And I think a lot of people know that, right? Um, as far as it goes. I mean, there's instances where maybe somebody's significant other is in a project. And there's no way they're not going to say no to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's just going to happen. All right. And, and, and coming in with it, in fact, that's something that I know because my wife is actually becoming, uh, she's getting a lot of roles now and she's starting to get things. And I know people want to cast her because they think it's going to like guarantee them into the festival. (laughs) And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. Right. (laughs) But, but I know that's part of the strategy going on now. Right. Sure. 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 Um, But but it's also going to make it, it's also going to make your life more complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause now it's like, well, now I got to reserve a spot, you know, like as far as this goes. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully you rock it. So, um, but no, no, no. And you know, being a filmmaker and I go to other festivals, I hate to say this. I hate to say this. And I'm sure others experience it is I try to not let people know I run film quest when I go to other festivals with my film. I really not, but inevitably other filmmakers say it because the reason I don't want to know it is because listen, if I, you're probably going to submit it anyway because we get so many submissions now. Yeah. It's just probably what's going to happen. You know, we've 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 risen up the ranks of the genre film festival world, but like I don't, I want you to save your money if I don't think you're going to get in. Right, right, and and so I'll avoid you if I <laughs> know that I'm not going to take your film. Yeah. Like I'll avoid you, but if I want it after I saw it there, I'm going to come up to you and be like submit your dang submit the film yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you right you know what i mean and it's and that happens that happens with other festival directors you know who maybe aren't filmmakers and they're going to festivals just because it's the cool thing to do because that's what they do sure they'll go up to you and they're going to let you know they're going to let you know um right then and there if they want to take it interesting well okay so 
Another thing with the, I, I found that through my years of doing film festivals and being in a lot of different ones, I found that the most uh, the, the the ones that I remember the most, the ones that are the most fun, are the film festivals that have their brain wrapped around uh, how to get uh, you know strangers to talk to each other. And I think that there is, a, especially when you're a new filmmaker, you're nervous. You might be screening your movie for the first time in front of an audience. You're sweating it. Like, there are all these details. Like, fuck, I'm in a film festival. Is there going to be an agent and management in the audience? Are they going to see my stuff? And, you know, there's a whole lot of, like, ego management that has to happen within that weird world that exists. And I've been to festivals where they don't do shit for you. Like, they claim that, like, there's a filmmaker's lounge, and they claim that there's something else, and it's, like, a fucking table with some coffee and donuts on it, and no one's really communicating. You end up in that space, and maybe you're standing next to somebody, and they're talking with their little click, and it becomes very clicky. And the film festivals that I've really enjoyed are the ones that put together events for filmmakers specifically. And they're just like, this is a fun event for us to hang out and for you to get to know people. And then you end up forming relationships. And I think, um, I mean, like full transparency on this film that you you've programmed. The only real reason I submitted it to film festivals was for my actor, because I've, I've already got an agent. I've already got management. I literally am sending this movie straight into the production offices of all these folks because of the years of other stuff. So for me getting in this film festival, it was for my actor so that he can be in front of other uh, filmmakers and for me to just see it with an audience. That's really why I did this festival run. And I hate going to film festivals where there aren't events that that percolate that. You know what I mean? Where you're not meeting the other filmmakers or it's like, like half put together and maybe you're talking outside the place and everybody's like, where are we going to go for beers? And what's, what's happening? You know what I mean? Is that a consideration for you? And do you feel the same way when you're programming stuff? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I've been to festivals where I'm like, they've got good programming, you know, check. You yeah. got a cool venue, check. Um, although I've been to festivals with a cool venue where it looks like they haven't replaced the bulbs in 10 years, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's stuff like that where you're just like, okay, well the venue's cool, but now this hasn't gotten, oh my gosh, the dog is barking. And it's it's yeah. fine. You're, um, you're good. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Um, so coming back to that, you know, I've been to those things, but I, I like to look at what their events is. I like to see if there's an award ceremony, not so much because. Obviously, let's not lie. Everybody hopes to win an award. Let's sure, be real. Sure. Everybody wants to. Sure. But if you don't have an award ceremony, I'm not coming. Yeah, that's true. That's you just told true. me. I mean, you just told me you don't care. Right. Like, you just want to screen the film. So where's that extra effort, that extra expenditure that you're making as a film festival to show your appreciation for the film, fill the filmmakers? Just give me a just give me a certificate that you printed out on cardboard paper. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. give me something that shows that you care. Sure. Sure. And so like, there's little things that I look for and there's at this point, there's, there's little clues like I'll submit to a film festival, but I won't go to it unless I know that I'm going to get certain things from it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, but, it's that socialization but, that's important. I think. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's so much of it. Like I I'm past the point now where it's like, I get off on just seeing a film with any crowd. You know what I mean? Like, like I want to see it with a certain crowd. Right. Is what I want to 
see it with. That's what I, I'm most excited with. Yes. And well, the, the premiere, obviously, always premiere. Um, but yeah, your peers. And, you know, it's it, there's almost an existential question that I ask. Would you rather see, would you rather showcase your film in front of a packed audience with your peers and colleagues and people in the industry or in front of a packed audience of non-filmmakers and just regular audience? Mm-hmm. That's a real existential question. I posted that, I remember, a couple of years ago, and the majority of people wanted to see it with their peers. Um, a lot wanted to mix, but, um, you know, it, it was fairly balanced, one, you know, within three ways. Well, as far I mean, as I, but I understand the peers thing, right? Because, you know, growing up in the 90s, right, you're, you, you, when you think about film festivals, you sort of subscribe to the fantasy, right? Which is like, you know, Rodriguez and Tarantino and all these guys were in festivals together. They became friends because they were in festivals together. They were on panels. They did all sorts of like, uh, you know, filmmaker interview stuff together. And then they went on to form a partnership and make a, you know, from dusk till dawn and like sort of go through that whole process and, and form a friendship. And there is like, I mean, the dream has always been for me to be in a group of other people filmmaker peers that you feel like you're coming up with right because you're going through the circuits together that you all sort of stay connected and engaged and and there have been quite a few that i do yeah. where like my first edits will go to those guys you know like i may have ideas or i may call be able to call them up and be like who's the effects person that you were using for that short they're fucking great and then just you know opening up this community and really sort of building this wall around your own little community of folks which I think that if you're someone that lives out in the middle of fucking nowhere that doesn't have uh, a filmmaking scene or a tax incentive in their in their city that uh, enables the industry to be there, they need that shit. They need to go to a film festival and meet peers and meet other actors and folks that they can then go back home and email and, and, and stay in communication with. I think it's important, dude. You know? I 100% agree. And listen, I know a lot of filmmakers are... Um, introverts, they yeah, are. Yeah, uh, but you got to kill that. You gotta, you gotta break out of that shell. I know you probably have people in the audience that are sitting there thinking, like, "But I'm shy. I'm like this." Listen, trust me. Do the work. Like, listen. If you're shy, do the work and let the work speak for itself, and they'll come to you. Mm-hmm. Now you got to put a foot forward too. But do the work and do something that they want to see and talk to you about. They're going to come and talk to you. But you also need to go. You need to go. Like it's like a tree falling in the forest. Like, yeah, it can make this big booming sound, but if nobody's around to hear it, it yes. doesn't matter, right? Like, <laughs> exactly, it, 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 it doesn't. And you know, and yes, yeah, some of it is dumb luck. Some of it is dumb luck. It's just yeah. bona fide. Like you might go to one film festival, like somebody goes to only one, and that's and that's the one you didn't go to, and that's the one that they got signed. Because they were there, yeah. you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. it's it's it, it, these are things that happen. But you know the 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 community, the network, the connections. Um, you know, kind of circling the back. That's a big thing that we do. We want to make sure that there's events that people are going to meet each that's other. That's the at. important thing. Yes, we, we want to make sure that because we know that the films are going to resonate with everybody. That we know that you're going to connect together and that you're going to be there because that's part of the reason you're there is to see the film. So we know that that's already going to be there. So now, how do we? How do we evolve that? I like what you were talking about with Tarantino and, and Rodriguez. And unfortunately, you don't see quite those stories anymore, mm. um, partly because festivals are probably a little oversaturated mm. now. 
there's a little too much going on. Um, I actually probably think personally that probably 80% of all the festivals should die like tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, and it's not because of competition. It's just, they're, what are they doing for you? Exactly. You know yeah, exactly. It feels like a cash grab. There's so yeah. many, there's so many of those festivals that like, I'll get random emails now that I've been submitting to festivals and it's like, we're interested in your film. We'll give you a discount. And, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. and you're just like, who the fuck are you? And why are you writing? To-? If you're interested, then what, how about you waive the fee? Yeah, <laughs> if you're that yeah, interested yeah. in it. And you know, that's actually interesting. And you're right. I, I agree with that. Um, we actually have like an interesting, now if I personally invite, if I personally invite, uh, and I try to avoid that for various reasons, mm-hmm. but if I personally invite, okay, okay, I'll waive your fee, right? Like I'm type sure. of a thing. But we actually have a big belief that like, listen, I'll give you a discount, but you got to pay a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I believe that is we, even the films that come from distributors, I make do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to pay a little fee. I was like, because everybody has to be on an even playing field. Everybody has to be in fair consideration with each other. That makes sense. This, that makes sense. This, this can't be curated off site. You need to come through film freeway and you need to do it through here because I can't just give you a handout and give you an unfair advantage. You already have the advantage of knowing me and being an alumni or something like that. Right. Sure. But like, you don't maybe have to pay, you know, 50 bucks, but pay $10. Right. You know what I mean? Show me that because that also shows me that you care enough yeah. about, but I know what you're saying too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, if, you want, if I'm going to come out, then pay the damn fee. Well, I mean, but what I was more saying is that it just feels like there are these festivals that don't feel like they're full, full fledged festivals. And they're look as filmmakers, there, there, there are all these different companies and there are all these different manufacturers that are like surrounding you like fucking mosquitoes. And you, you are, there's always like some sort of, person that's running to you going, I, I love your stuff. This is a great opportunity. Just pay me this money. And then blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, fuck off, dude. You you guys are just leeching off of, of you know, broke filmmakers. And I like uh, once we started to submit and I saw it more now, cause I haven't submitted to a film festival, like I said, in over five, six years. And I saw it more this year when I started to do it through, like, I think I'm on film freeway or whatever. And I started to do it through there. Um, once they saw I had a film going and that it was going out, I just started to get all these emails from like, I don't know who the fuck these festivals are without, with like, with no reviews, no nothing. And they're just like, congratulations. And we really want you. And we really want this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, but who the fuck are you? And why am I still going to pay, you know, $65 if you really want this thing? And it just, it just felt like that was their way of making cash. It was like their con, which was like, you're so talented. You're so great. Throw us some money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and also you'll start to see it. You can start to kind of see it. And listen, people are going to try and make their money the way that they're going to try and make their money. But then you start to notice that there's some festivals like, like, oh, they're running like six or seven or eight festivals. Yeah. And they're all, and they're all like a one day, maybe day and a half festival, yeah. like minimal work, right? To it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, if it starts to become suspect, about even their lineup. That's why I say research what they've taken. If a lot of what they've taken is crap, that tells you one of two things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That, I, 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 in fact, I have a very, I have a s- specific story about that. And it tells you they either didn't watch your film or they just took whatever they kind of watched first because they didn't watch the films. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Of them. So here's their lineup so that they do their due diligence while they're pocketing, you know, the 15, 20 grand that they got for submission fees that year. Right. And then they already have their relationships. So it's like, okay, they maybe you're spending a couple of this. So by the time, but after they do six, seven, eight festivals, they're making six figures a year with really minimal work. Yeah. You know, right. right, um, right. And so be wary of those. Those are the ones you got to be wary of. But I mean, I'll, I'm not going to name the festival, but one year I, uh, I submitted to the festival and I didn't get in. This was with Comatose Mother. And I was like, that's odd. And I remember looking at some of the films. I was like, they took those? You know, it was like, what What did they take? Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, that's really weird. And I remember I never really write film festivals. In fact, you probably shouldn't. If you don't get in, um, you should probably, unless you're truly, truly compelled, you should really probably refrain from <laughs> writing a festival asking why you didn't get in. Because um, some festivals can get brutal and it could not be good for you. Um, some of them are full of it because they didn't watch it right and you could tell they didn't watch it and then some of them are like they might tell you something you don't want to hear and and so if if you really want to know be prepared for that be truly prepared for that and don't get upset if they if they if they're truthfully really true with you and honest right yeah um and but i mean i've i've had people write and i and i've I've written them back honestly and truthfully saying like listen we really liked your film we liked it we just did not have enough space to program it yeah just did it yeah yeah um and so uh but coming back to it the story i had so i submitted it digging in it's like okay and i just decided and i wrote them and i never heard back i was like was it because of the runtime what was the reason right didn't hear anything and so on a whim uh, well, no, I ended up submitting to another festival that ended up being a sister festival for this fest. Hmm. And the festival director calls me directly and said, the festival is awesome. Now, I didn't know it was a sister festival. You loved your film. You need to submit to our sister festival. <laughs> what is that sister festival? The one that rejected me. And at that <laughs> moment, I had my answer that I emailed. Oh, you didn't even watch it. <laughs> Now, what happens? Okay, I submit, and guess what happened? We ended up winning Best Short. <laughs> so, guys, yeah, it's, you know, that's kind of making a little full circle on, like, the yeah. submissions and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. that's real. Again, that's why I mentioned kind of a sacred mantle. I believe you. Ha- it is a sacred duty. You're getting this money, watch the films. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. If something is unwatchable and you can know within seconds that it's unwatchable, 100%. Like yeah. that's a different story, uh, and by that I mean, yeah, we'll still we'll we'll still watch it a bit. But some there are films. I would say there's a good. Let's see, we had sixteen hundred, like sixteen hundred even submitted this year, wow. which was kind of amazing. Wow, um, which is our third straight year of growth. And I would say there's a good hundred, hundred and fifty that are just. I'm sorry. And I, I apologize to any, you know, I sure. apologize. You think that this is it. It's, it, it's, it's awful. It's yeah. just terrible. Like it's, you know, good. You know that that filmmaker, if they try again, they're probably just going to produce the same thing, that type of level of awful. Right. Right. Like, right. 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 And there's, there's that element, but listen, they're taking their chance. They're being considered and you got to give it at least some time on there. But you know, that's an interesting thing that I come in. The, the, the balance of power, so to speak, uh, is becoming more and more level. The playing field is more level. And, and this comes into the filmmaking part of the podcast, right? Yeah. Is, is, so what do you do when all things are even? It comes down to story, guys. Like, yes, the production value is amazing. But everybody else is starting to get better and better and better production value. Sure. And it's more and more affordable. That playing field, 
You're not seeing stuff just shot on a black magic anymore. You're not seeing stuff shot on a 5D. You're not seeing things shot on an HVX, right? You're not seeing that. Now there's an aesthetic. We're aware of an aesthetic if you're trying to go for an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like things are looking better and better all the time. So how do you separate that? It comes down to story, guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. Story, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? It's it's yeah. sto- it's story, it's life experiences, it's how you as an artist are processing those life experiences through through your own life experiences. So, like, yeah, completely, man. Like, and uh, I, I think it's better for it for sure. I, I like there mm-hmm. isn't even even before this though. I don't I don't think there was like a cheat code for everything either. Like, like I, I think a lot of folks like to say like, well, before we leveled the playing field, like all you know, every, if you just did stuff a certain way, you just got in. You're like, nah, it still sucked then too. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. It it definitely did. No, no. I think you're right. I mean, there's definitely films that, you know, and I'm not trying to rag on Sundance, but there's definitely films that played Sundance like in the 90s that would, there's no way in hell they'd get in today Mm -hmm. to festival and especially Sundance, right? Just Mm -hmm. because of either the the production value or what was there? Because there was was less competition. There was less films. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the big thing. That's the big thing. Now there's way, way, way more. And how do you give yourself that edge? Well, I'm going to give you a couple tips. Feature films. If guys, if you're making a feature film, it is paramount, paramount that the first 10 minutes grab your attention. Yes. You got to, that doesn't mean that I can't, I can appreciate a slow burn, but you have got to get us because you want to know the secret about distributors and sales agents. That's what they're watching. They are watching the first 10 minutes. Yes. If they know that's what keeps people watching on streamers. They know that Netflix knows it. That's why when you watch a series, like I watched Cowboy Bebop, love the anime, watch the first 10 minutes. I was like, something's wrong. Something's <laughs> off. Yeah. And what happens to Cowboy Bebop? Two weeks later, it's canceled because they're getting the numbers that are telling them this is something's off. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You know, when I watched Willow within the first five, 10 minutes, I'm, I actively hate watched Willow. <laughs> yeah. I tried. And, I tried. I couldn't do it. I yeah, I actively watch it because I was just watching this train wreck, <laughs> just like continue to percolate. And you're watching these decisions being made. Like, what? What is this that I'm watching? And but within the first ten minutes, you knew. Yeah. Everybody knew. And so you think that doesn't apply to indies? Oh, hundred percent, dude. As, as a filmmaker, the rule that I have is like, it's all about. Dude, it's all about your first fucking two minutes. Like, it's all, yeah. all about your no. first two minutes of, of a movie. Are you setting the tone? Are you pulling people in? Is it interesting to look at? Are you gripping them, right? And then you can go through. You can fuck up in the middle, but as long as your last 10 minutes are solid, or last five minutes of that movie is solid, as long as you end it strong, then you're in a good place. And, like, it, it isn't, I, I'm happy that you said that. Um, because I don't, I, I just think a lot of people don't think about that. It, and it's not necessarily that you need to have a cold open for everything and it doesn't have to fit oh. into some bullshit fucking formula that exists out there. And, it, and you don't have to open with some action sequence, but I think you have to open with something that we want to fucking look at. And, yeah. and, and this comes down to casting too. I always talk about this with casting where people are like, how do you know when you're casting the right person? I go, it, you want to look at their fucking face when they don't say anything. Like you, you just want to stare at that person. That's what good casting is, and that's what you're what you're looking for is uh, something on screen that grabs us and that pulls us in and it makes us ask questions. Uh, 
And don't answer those fucking questions. Take them down a path where they're starting to bring their own answers to those questions. And now they're engaged. And that's the engagement that you want out of a fucking film. And so, like, it's nice to hear you say that. And I hope that sinks into a lot of you listening to this, where it's like, you have to be aware of your audience. You no matter, you should be making movies for yourself, right? You should be making yourself happy when you make movies. But for fuck's sake, be aware of your audience and who you're screening with. Yeah. And you know what? I, I'm glad you're saying that. I really like what you said about casting. I hadn't thought about that before. And I, now that's going to stick with me. Um, yeah. Truly. Um, but you know that when I was making comatose mother and everything I make, I'm constantly thinking about my audience when I'm editing it, yeah. when I'm making it, I'm like, this needs to go faster. I just shot a couple of commercials, uh, for, uh, the state of Utah actually for their big, like prevent fire ads and stuff. Oh, cool. And I remember the first ad, not the first ad, sorry, the first take on the first day, the actor, he delivers his lines. It's a good performance. And I literally had to tell him, I was like, that's great, but you literally need to speed that up two or three times. This is a 30 second ad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you've got to, you've got to come out swinging. You've got to speed it up and you've got to, you know, you've got, because you've got to be aware of the audience. You've got to be aware of who we're delivering this for. Sure. And, and, and what you're saying there is, like I said, we can appreciate the slow burn. We can appreciate what you're doing, but you've got to think about this process because most film festivals will only give a feature film 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. That's all they'll give it. And like you said, stick the landing, but you got to come, you got to throw, you got to land the first punch too. Yeah. hundred percent. And like you said, it's interesting. You said about a media, uh, the middle. Cause yeah. Uh, and also don't make it too long, yeah. especially on features. <laughs> like honestly, once it starts going over 90 minutes, you start getting into a little bit of trouble waters when it comes to indie. Mm -hmm. um, very, very few indies can go longer than an hour 40 and yeah. sustain it. Uh, the sweet spot really is about 85, about 80 to 90 when it comes to an indie feature, which is good news because that's less time shooting. That's less time editing, right? Like yep. there's that. Yep. And that's what buyers are looking for. Don't try and make the two hour indie feature. Just don't do it. Yeah. You got, you, you need, and don't try and make the hour 50, get it to like that 80 at most with credits an hour 40. Get it there because that's what buyers looking at, like you know, uh, on that front. That's what festivals are looking at um, because you know we got hung up on shorts, but um, but it, it applies to features too. Yeah, um, it, you know, like you you can get too long and too indulgent because you know there was a film I remember you know it stuck with me like it's it's a good film, it's twenty minutes too long, yeah. and that's a common thing that we say. It's a good film, twenty minutes too long for a feature because they need another editing pass they need to literally look forward and i with I, as i watch it because i actually got to know the investor on the film mm -hmm. and i i told him point blank i said um i said there's two scenes right at the beginning of the film in the first 15 minutes that are 10 minutes long that you can immediately cut and i double checked to be sure i was like yeah you could cut these scenes that would save you 10 minutes and you get into the heart of the story then you have a 20 minute scene that could be cut in half too and I was like, and I know that this is that filmmaker's baby. I get it. But I said, for the sake of sales, for the sake of festivals, you need to do this. And I don't think the filmmaker took to that very well, but whatever. Yeah, but that's part of the thing, right? And it, I mean, it's ego, you know? And, and I think the longer I've been doing this, the more I'm sort of checking my ego and sort of understanding that the film itself is going to guide you the way it needs to be, to, to be driven. And I think... When we start as filmmakers, we're inspired and obsessed with 
the folks that came before us, right? And we may be like, oh man, fucking Borman and and Point Blank, and oh, I love that long sequence. So you're you're just fucking taking a crowbar and like and tearing the lid off that cam and, and, and trying to jam that fucking sequence in your movie. And you realize that when you screen it, and I, I say this to a lot of folks, but for fuck's sake, screen your stuff for multiple people before you even start submitting it to film festivals. Like yeah. watch it with an audience and feel that rhythm and feel that pacing and feel that because um, it, it, I need that. I mean, I've been an yeah. editor for years and I, I still need to have that screening session where I play it. For instance, in the new piece, Come Home, and I'm not going to spoil anything for those of you who haven't seen it yet, but you've seen it. There's um, a bit that happens there at the end. There's a, there's a, there's a music cue that happens at the end of the mm -hmm. movie, right? And mm -hmm. I was very fortunate to get uh, Jonathan Bates from Big Black Delta. I'm a huge fan of his music. Um, and I convinced him to do the score for it. And we had a long conversation when we were going through it. And he said to me, Mike, there's a difference between Jonathan and Big Black Delta. And I really want to make sure that we're staying with Jonathan and we're scoring this movie out. And I go, okay, great. So we went through the process and went back and forth. And originally, the, my film was going to end a different way. In my head, I saw it ending a different way. And I saw it ending a bit more violent and abrupt. And so as I'm cutting this piece and I'm laying it out in front of me, I'm before I even start cutting what I think is going to be the abrupt ending. I go, ah, this doesn't fucking work. And in my head, I go, but yeah, but that's what you want to do. So do it. And I go, that just doesn't fucking work. And I thought about it for a while and I'm like, well, what would you do here? What would you do differently? What, what is satisfying to you? And I'm like, man, there's this fucking big black Delta song. And so I just did it. I, 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 I said, fuck it. I just duplicated my timeline and I said, I'll just do an alternate cut here. Who gives a shit? And so I took it and I put that song in and I cut it the way that I, my heart felt like it should be cut. And I did that. And then I was kind of ashamed of it because I'm like, well, I just put in a big black Delta song and he told me not to. So that's the first thing. So there was a concern. I'm like, I don't want to fall in love with something I can't fucking use. And then second, I, I asked my girlfriend uh, to come in and watch it. And because her and I have been big black Delta fans for years and I just sort of squirmed in my chair as she watched the piece. And I, I was feeling really fucking awkward about it. And it stopped. And I was waiting for her to go, what a hack. Like, that's what I was waiting for her, is for her to go like, of course, you take the song that's great, and you put it in there, what a fucking hack. And I look at her and I go, what do you think? And she goes, it's fucking perfect. And I went, really? And she goes, yeah, it's perfect. And I go, oh, fuck, really? And so then, then my stomach dropped and I go, I have to write to Jonathan. So then I sent him a cut and I sent him an email and I go, dude, I know what we talked about, but just watch this. I think it's beautiful. And I, I think this song says everything about the movie and it's a statement for the film and just watch it. And I didn't hear from him for a little bit. And of course I'm sweating it, right? Because yeah. now I've fallen in love with this sequence. And, you know, then I get an email from him. He goes, it's perfect. Use it. <laughs> so that's right. I was following my internal audience's gut instinct and now anybody that i've screened it for and i've screened that movie for multiple people personally and th that song pulls such an emotional moment out of oh. everybody you know it's the needle drop is great yeah. i even made a comment of that too you like did. the needle drop when the needle drops it's great you know that that reminds me of two things um the first thing um even though the film is very very flawed 
Um, it has a lot of moments of genius in it, but it's a smaller moment. And the film I'm talking about is Babylon. I don't know if you saw it, but yes, I love, uh, yes, there's yeah. a lot of great stuff in that movie. Yeah. 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 Um, there's a scene though. It's a, it's a smaller scene, but it's after Brad Pitt's, this isn't a big spoiler. His producer has died mm-hmm. and making his first sound film. And he's in the editing. He's in the edit room watching, not the edit room, but he's watching the cut Yes, and he can't put his finger on what's wrong. Yes. Because he doesn't have a sounding board with him, right? And stuff like that. But he can't, he's like, he knows something's off and he can't figure it out. And I'm going to say that because uh, I get what you're saying, but I'm going to say that to filmmakers. If you're feeling something's wrong, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's something and that's why you need to get people. But I wanted to say too, don't show it to your freaking cast and crew because guess what? You've lost your chance that they're going to come to the premieres and stuff like that. They're going to give you feedback or they're going to be <laughs> negative on you because they're seeing an unfinished product. Try to avoid your cast and crew, but show it to your uh, to your friends, your soundboard. I mean, one of the great famous editing, uh, not I mean, rough cut screenings ever is when George Lucas, you know, shows Star Wars to all his buddies and everybody <laughs> rips it to shreds except for Spielberg. <laughs> it's right? true. It's like, true. And it's he thinks true. he's like lost and destroyed <laughs> and stuff like that. But of course, Star Wars is saved by editing. But you know, there was something you said earlier. And as you were talking there, it reminded me as well. Um, you were talking about Borman and, you know, we're, we're, you want to don't be a mimic. And one thing I've started to notice, and this comes into what we've talked about with, with the quality, with the f- level playing field coming in. Like I made this comment to a talent rep, cool person, as we were talking, but they totally, it went over their head. What I was actually saying. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, they were asking about the talent. I was like, yeah, everything's awesome. I mean, there's people that are great. And I was like, you know, finding the standouts are hard because so many people are really, really good. I said, the big problem is though, like everything's starting to look more and more like an A24 film. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's great. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, no, I don't think you're totally getting what I'm talking about well, here. Dude, it's two different thought processes, right? Yeah, Those- yeah. I'm just like, yeah, because that's the it thing. That's what you think is awesome right now, right? Sure. That's what Hollywood is acting is the hit thing. Everything needs to be like an A24 film. I'm like, no, you do that. Now you're 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 make, it's an hom- you're homogenizing the industry. Yeah. Now you're trying to create you're you're killing voices and unique storytelling and and different ways of looking at things like that. I don't want everything to look like an A24 film. Yeah. You know, I don't want yeah. everything. I don't want to, I don't want to go into a movie that's giving me a trailer or something that looks like it's scary. And then when I go out and see it, I'm like, why are there scenes of just five minutes of somebody staring into a webcam? Well, like, well, like, I don't need that all the time. Right. Like well, it has its place and, you know, talk about padding. Oh my gosh. There's a <laughs> film I, the other day. Uh, I mean, I don't want to call this film out because I know they're making an A24 film, but I was like, I watched it. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, so like, uh, but listen, A24 is, they produce awesome stuff, but also the other half of the stuff you don't see. Yeah. is like buried by them because it's not very good. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, guys, like you're seeing the good stuff. It's the same thing with Blumhouse. It's the same thing with the studios. It's the same thing with what Miramax did. Like you're seeing their choice stuff, yeah. right? Like don't forget that they, that all these companies have things in their, uh, in their whole catalog that you're almost lucky if you saw it, you know what I mean? It's, it's all there. And so that's what I would take is like, you know, 
Yes, have the audience in mind. Yes, have your goals in mind. Think about what your goals are for the festival. That's why you research it to see what the type of films they normally take and whether you should do it. Yeah, take a flyer every now and then. See, I remember when I got into Coney Island, I took a flyer on that <laughs> and I ended up winning Best Horror Short. And I, I took a total flyer. I thought I had no shot at it. And then I like got in. This was It was a little bigger back in 2011 and stuff like that. But yes, do these things. But, but ultimately... Yeah. Trust your instincts, trust your gut. Like you were saying, Mike. Um, yeah, but be true to your voice, find your voice. It's that's one of the hardest things that as a filmmaker and as a director, it is to find is finding your voice. And, but that's the thing that gets us the most excited about film festivals, right? Sometimes you ask, why is that film in there? It's like, because it was unique because they had a voice because they're telling me something or showing it to me in a way. I haven't necessarily seen before. And while it might not be your cup of tea and I can know why it's probably not your cup of tea for others, I know it is because it's, 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 it's hitting a nerve that comes in. So that's the other thing I would say, like be challenging, find that thing, uh, try things out, but don't, don't check all these boxes because you think that's what's going to get you in. Well, so you bring up a really interesting point and I think film festivals, in our industry, I think film festivals is the only real place now that you can do that. And your, your, your comment that you made about the talent agent and the response that they had is right on point because the, the way that this business works and I deal with this consistently, (laughs) consistently is talent agents don't want to do the fucking work. They just don't. And most of these people are out there looking for a fucking scratch ticket. They're hunting for, for an easy win. And so when they're looking for content and it's like, oh, this is just like A24, I don't even have to, I don't even have to do shit. I could just put this through and potentially this person will get picked up immediately because we know that this stuff works. That's, mm-hmm. how, that's how the business side of it works. And so as filmmakers, as we get to a position, and I've been there where you're writing with a major production company and you're coming in with stuff that's completely fucking left field, or if I send a treatment or, or something through my management or agent team and it's completely left field, they go, well, what are the comps? What is it like? Is it like this movie? Is it like that movie? And oftentimes I'll have comps in my thing that they're like, take that fucking cop out. And I'm like, why? And I was like, that movie made no money. Don't put that in there as a comp. That's how they're going to see that stuff. So it just seems like if if you're truly doing stuff that's indie, and, and I think my writing partner and I are about to start a feature that's going to be this way. Um, it, if you're doing stuff that's truly fucking indie, um, then just go completely into it. And it, if festivals are thinking the way that you're thinking, which is like, we want a voice, we want something solid, then maybe 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 it'll get it'll it'll make its way through if you do a really good fucking job and you feel like it's it's floating the same way if you feel the way i felt when i put that fucking song at the end of my short if you feel that way then it might it will at least resonate with the audience and it and then maybe that agent or management that's in that space or happens to be in that room will look at it and go this is going to be a pain in my ass but look how everybody's fucking responding to this thing mm-hmm. okay all right and then what's interesting is that you're now establishing your style and vibe by by taking those risks so instead of being the guy that goes in or the woman that goes in and just replicates david fincher and they go hey they're gonna make uh, girl with the dragon tattoo six fincher doesn't want to fucking touch it how about we give it to you you know what i mean like that's your career path as opposed to being somebody that is oh you're the weird ones that made that movie about the fucking hand 
Oh, cool. And you did like that really cool music dance edit sequence that happened in the middle of that thing. Yeah. These guys are really good. We have this new thing that, you know what I mean? And so that just seems to be, the, that, that's the harsh reality of it, right? So like, it's different if you're making a film that you're submitting directly into agents and management, because there's a lot of that stuff that we do. Once you get to that point, your agents and management are like, you, you don't even have to go through the film festival circuit. They're like, what's new? What are you making? What's going on? At that point, you're, it sucks because you have to kind of be in tune with what's selling and what's going on with the selling of stuff. And then more often than not, this is me on a rant and I'll be done in a sec. That's okay. But more often than not, I've talked to a lot of like, especially in horror, I've talked to a lot of other horror genre directors that are wrapped and they have representation, they have agents, and they're just trying to get meetings. And they're just pumping out bullshit. And they're pumping out like uh, lights out remakes or really gimmicky crap. Like I, I, I go into the swimming pool and I'm underwater and I look up and there's a shadow and I come out of the swimming pool and there's no fucking shadow there anymore. And so it's just this whole plethora of short films that all feel the fucking same, all have no real fucking substance. And these filmmakers are still stuck in this weird loop of like, wow, I'm not getting greenlit on this shit either. So I, I like the idea that film festivals still exist because there's, a, there's an outlet for me to get fucking wild and crazy and do something, especially if I'm financing it myself. They can go fuck themselves. And if I'm going to do it myself, I'm going to go off the fucking rails and do something that is weird and that the piece itself compelled me to make the the, the the decisions the way I made the decisions. And there's a fucking audience out there that's going to see it. Thank God. <laughs> oh, sorry. absolutely. No, sorry. absolutely. No, no, no. What you're talking about is, let, 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 I'm going to give you some names and stuff like that for people to check out. You want to see a filmmaker who is true DIY. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. And uh, in fact, there's a movie that Netflix called, I think, Horse Girl might have blatantly ripped off his first film Oof. there's a whole edit about it um call his name is joe badon and he's done three films called the god inside my ear sister tempest and we have another one called the wheel of heaven now his stuff's not for everybody mm. but he is building a fan base and he is building a true he's a true indie filmmaker with a true voice and he's building people that are um they're interested and they're attuned you know to what he's got going on um you know, I'll give you two other tales is, and I, I give him a shout out just because it's like for some festivals, he's not their jam. Right. But mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. we really see what he's doing on all the fronts. At least we think so. And he's making these movies first one for 10,000, next one for 20,000, next one for 30. Right. He's mm -hmm. getting more and more ambitious, but you don't think they're that budget. He's just, he's put, cause he's an artist himself. He's putting so much into it. Yeah. But you know, two stories. Do you think anybody gave a crap who Ari Aster was until hereditary came out? Yeah. Nobody, nobody knew who the guy was. Yeah. Yeah. He found a way in to, you know, get that movie made and all that. That movie was made here in Utah. <laughs> and I know people who were on the crew who got to see some of the script and were on set. They thought the movie was going to be awful <laughs> because again, you know, he has the vision, you know what I mean? He has the vision, but they thought the, it didn't make sense to them. Yeah. They thought it was going to be awful, which there's something to be said about that in regards to crew, sure, but, sure, uh, sure. but, um, you know, that coming back to star Wars, like they all thought star Wars was going to be crap. Right. Like, <laughs> and they thought Jabberwocky was going to be the bee's knees and then <laughs> same crew, different outcomes. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, not every experience is the same, but nobody gave a crap. 
nobody gave a crap. And like, and now so many people are trying to be Ari Aster. It's like Ari Aster became Ari Aster because he was being Ari Aster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why are you trying to be Ari Aster? And if you're, if you're a rep out there, if you're anybody that's listening to this, why are you looking for the next person? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, why are you trying to find the person that maybe is like their brother or sister or cousin, but not that person? Yeah. You know, like you need to find like, you know, Sam Raimi comes out like a bat out of hell with evil dead, but nobody takes him seriously for a number of years. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, like it, and now he's got his big following and now look how many of us are influenced by Sam Raimi. So many of us, right? So many genre. Yeah. He changed the language for, for genre. He does, but nobody totally recognizes that, you know, out the gate. And it's just like, be yourself, find those people who, who can, a deliver for an audience, you mm-hmm. know, and that doesn't have to be the biggest audience, but a audience, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. And then find those people that, that, that have, you know, that voice and style that kind of go from there. And then I'm going to tell another story. Now it's maybe a little apocryphal, um, but I've heard it through the grapevine. Napoleon dynamite was m- made by BYU alumni. It was almost a student film. <laughs> like there was a short film Palooka, but a lot of their crew were students this is made for 400,000. Yes, it's made in Idaho, but partly of that. But it was mostly people from BYU that made <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. And if we look back on the last 20 years of indie cinema, film festivals, and all that, Napoleon Dynamite is lightning in a bottle. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And 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 I want to come back to cast and crew and getting in. Now, they had somebody involved with Sundance from the very beginning mm. who had inroads to kind of help them get in that they had some indie darling actors that were always going to help them kind of get in mm-hmm. that said, this is the apocryphal part of the story. When they have their world premiere at Sundance, let me be frank. Napoleon dynamite is a Mormon comedy. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you, when you know the in jokes and you know the culture of what they're, what they're actually referring to. Yeah. It's in Idaho. It's, that is Preston Idaho is like a 95% Mormon town in Idaho. Like that is a, that is a podunk middle of nowhere town with a lot of in jokes yeah. going on yeah. that are going to go over everybody's heads who are not from that culture and that thing. Like that is what's happening there. If you've ever wondered why it's different, that's why. <laughs> and like, so they kind of know this. Um, so what do they do? They make sure they pack it with everybody that is going to get the jokes, <laughs> family, friends, everything at that screening. So when the buyers go in and that film is blowing the roof off the screening, the buyers are like, what's going on? This is, this is, I've never seen anything like this, right? <laughs> like, cause they, they gamed everybody else. Smart. Is what they did. Smart. They smart. And you want to be Frank? There hasn't been another Napoleon Dynamite in the last 20 years. It's true. There hasn't. Yeah. There hasn't been. Um, and, um, and you know, that just has not happened. And, and again, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's circumstances and stuff like that. But, yeah, like, if, if you want to know, that is one of the most Mormon things you've ever seen. And uh, <laughs> at least in terms of that, the, the culture has actually changed a lot in the last 20 years and stuff like that. But for that time, that place – um, that thing, like all the jokes are, that's just, 
It, it really is. And so <laughs> like, um, so now when you're laughing about it, you're thinking about it, it's more farm country Mormon, sure, you know, sure, sure. Thing, but, it, but I never, I never did the math on that. That's funny that that's, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's really, I mean, all those characters that you're seeing in that show, except for probably Pedro, <laughs> they're all, they're all Mormons. You know what I mean? That's, that's what it is. Uh, but that's, that's going off onto the side there. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. that's, uh, you know, like, cause now we can start going into how Battlestar Galactica is also that, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, without getting into that, I think um, we, we should have a whole separate episode. About we that. could have a whole episode about like, like Mormons and like cinema and all the things that were secretly Mormon that you had no idea were that you like and enjoy. And now, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, it's not big love. You know, it's all yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. actually more fun stuff. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, um, but, but that's my point. Like the, the, the idea, right. Kind of coming back full circle is get in the room, yeah. get in the door. Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. How do you make these things? And it's like, it's being true to yourself. Um, and yes, no, still acknowledge the masters, acknowledge the one that came from, learn from them, see what they did. Right. Do what's mm-hmm. there. But, but really like, you know, there, and then the message I would come, you know, is like, there are so, there is so much talent. There is so much talent that's going to make money. I mean, one of our alumni is Parker Finn, who did, um, who did Smile. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we played his first two shorts. Uh, Laura hasn't slept. We did it after South by Southwest. He already had the ball rolling after we, we screened it, but we played his first short, The Hide Behind. And he's kind of, he's, at least at the festival, from what I recall, he was a little more introverted, right? Mm-hmm. But he was there. He came to Film Quest. He was there. We remember him, all that sort of thing. I mean, another person is Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso. I remember when I watched Ted Lasso, I'm like, holy crap, I know that guy. <laughs> you know, like, there he is. Uh, he won Best Actor, like, our second year of the festival. But coming back to Parker Finn, you know, one of the best things that ever happened to him was probably having the film at South by Southwest the COVID year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a short lower hasn't slept because more people were able to see it that normally wouldn't have seen the shorts. Oh, interesting. And watching it. So that comes in, but this is what goes down, right? They're ready to write. Uh, yes. He's getting a feature film. It's with Paramount, but they're ready to write the film off. They're just going to release it on Paramount plus. Right. Then they go to a test audience. They're like, Hey, maybe we should release this theatrically. What's <laughs> it go off and do? It becomes literally like the biggest horror film of like the last five years. Yeah. 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 You know, domestically. Right. Like, <laughs> and now he's off and running. But again, that's because somebody behind the scenes, oh, I don't know if we can make money off this guy. You know, sure, know sure, sure. it's a little bit like, you know, all that. And it's just like, guys, you've got to take these chances and you've got to check it out because these voices that are coming through and coming out, like I, I can't tell you who's going to be the next big thing. I can't. Yeah. I, I can tell you who's, I really think has a lot of potential, a lot of talent, but I cannot tell you who's going to take off. I really can't. I mean, it could be you, Mike. It could be me. It could yeah, be yeah. somebody who literally just made their first film and they've only played two festivals and now they're making a feature film, right? It, it, you don't know. Yeah. Um, but but that it's never going to happen. And for those that are looking for such things, whether you're an investor, producer, or all that, you're never going to know if you're just looking for the same thing that you've always seen. Yeah. You're just not. And anyway. Well, that being said, that being said, how's the how's the festival lineup looking this year? It's strong, man. It's yeah. strong. No, it's, uh, this is by far the feature films are the strongest we've ever had on the whole without doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've always got more. I mean, uh, it might not sound a lot to some festivals, but in our world it is. I mean, we had over 240 feature films that were submitted that we had to consider. That's, that's so much viewing, we, so much fucking yeah, viewing. It's, it's a lot of you. And that's just features, right? Yeah. And that includes documentaries. You know, we've got great variety. 
the shorts, you know, they all bring something so different to the table. And every year has a different flavor. Every year has a little bit of a different, there's just, there's just something in the salsa. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have my personal favorites, but that's often, de- that's often dictated by the filmmakers that come. Mm-hmm. There was, I mean, probably my all-time favorite group was uh, not last season, but the season before. There was just something about that group. <laughs> um, they were really just a fun group. And that was, you know, every year there's these milestones that kind of happen every couple of years. And that one, that felt like a real milestone year as mm-hmm. far as that went too. Like one of those that, because I've seen things accelerate even more since then. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and this group, like I said, and that group, it enhances everything. That's why it's like, you know, yeah, you can watch a film online, you can watch it on YouTube and all that, but there's nothing like, like seeing it with, with an audience that gets it like a filmmaker audience. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. They see it and they get it and they vibe it. And that's why I say, if you're a producer, if you're an executive, if you're a, if you're an investor, if you're a talent scout or an agent, you got to come. Yeah. Don't just watch it virtually because you're not going to get the same thing. You're not going to get that that same pulse. You need to come discover this talent and be signing people. I, I'm telling you right now, Mike, mm-hmm. I strongly believe there are no less than 50 filmmakers that are unsigned that can be signed the moment after they screen by maybe not CAA and Willie Morris, but by either serious managers who are looking for people that they can make money with and talent. I really believe that. And, and I mean, there's a feature film that's going to play, play in closing lights called Arati. Mm-hmm. The, fe- uh, the filmmaker is Paul, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Paul Rico Alejo, Spanish filmmaker. He's the next Guillermo del Toro. Uh, del Toro. He hands down is. Yeah. Like, awesome. He really is. His previous film was Aramentari, The Blacksmith and the Devil yeah. that Netflix took, right? Don't watch it, dub guys. Watch it in subtitles. Guillermo del Toro himself has tweeted about the film. Right. Yeah. His films, he's getting a few million dollars for his budgets from Spain. These are epic, dark fantasy, horror fantasy, all that good stuff. This guy is super talented. No U.S. representation. How in the hell does this guy not have representation? He is literally the next Guillermo del Toro waiting for this right now. And he should be directing 15 and 20 million dollar films for his next thing in America. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to fucking see it, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying like you're going to love it, but the talent is so obvious. Yeah, dude, of it's course. so obvious. Of course. And so it's, it's just like that's what – you see, I started to get impassioned with this because I actually get angry about this for filmmakers and for people because um, I just – I don't understand, you know, like what is going on because I do see some other people that are getting these shots and I'm like, that's fine. Sure. But, but- I know I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this and it's and – and I get – I get so impassioned for it because I know what the possibilities are and what the potential is for so many people. Yeah. And, and, and to see it just kind of disregarded or ignored for what, for what purpose we all lose when yeah. you do that. Right. Right. And, right. And, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like we've seen like a, a pretty big, like homogenization of the content that we watch anyways right now. And I feel like a lot of the shit that we're seeing on streaming services, there are some great stuff. There are some outliers, but then there's just like, you know, fill the fucking trough of just, uh, you know, make sure you stay subscribed and keep viewing of the same old bullshit that's running through everything right now. And I think the, I know our listeners of the show are getting tired of it. And like the only way that this is going to happen is through 
experimental filmmaking and through people finding their voice and being able to screen their stuff in festivals. And I think the thing that I love the most listening to you talk about these filmmakers, it sort of circles me back to the same issue that I had with the fucking music industry, where once things became streamers and once it was Spotify and, and once it's all digital and you're just like mindlessly scrolling through some fucking queue, there is no emotional connection to wanting to watch something. And what's great about a film festival is that it's curated the same way. If you go into a fucking old vinyl shop and they're playing their music in a vinyl shop, it's curated. And I think that that's what the audiences are missing right now. And I think that's the power of going is a, even if you're just going to, to a film festival as an audience member, that's what you're getting is this curation and this excitement and passion that you and your folks that work for you at that film festival spent hundreds of fucking hours pouring through this stuff and finding something that stirs an emotion within you. And you're like, this is fucking good. This is going on screen. And this is why I fucking love it. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, coming back, I, I, I've used this term a couple of times in this interview, but it does. It brings us back another step into the circle is one of the, one of the secrets, because we get told a lot that we have really strong programming. Yeah. Um, I've heard from some people, they think it's the best, but that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> um, you know, I know what I think, but you know, that's a matter of opinion. I mean, there's some films I wish we could get that we never even got to consider. Right. Yeah. But, but coming back to being a filmmaker, I think that's part of why we've had some success as a film festival is we approach it like we're filmmakers who always have the audience in mind. Yeah. So when we're thinking about the programming, we're thinking about the audience because here's a true hard and fast true rule. How many of us have been to a film festival or even seen a film at a major festival and it sucks yeah. like that. film. And imagine you're just Joe Schmo, you know, okay, I'm going to try out an indie film at a film festival. I've never been, let's go see. And you just see this awful pretentious thing. Yeah. What's going to happen? You're never going to go back. Right. So it's the same thing for us. We can't just be programming all this stuff. We need to have stuff that people, because audiences are trained in such a way to expect something, mm -hmm. we need to train audiences on the festival level too. Mm -hmm. It's not just filmmakers, it's audiences. So when they come in there, they're like, holy crap, this looks good. This looks just as good as something I would see in the theater. Holy crap, I love that story. Oh my goodness, I'm coming back because... This is quality. I want to see more. This is not what I expected at all. You need to always have the audience in mind, even on the festival programming perspective. And mm -hmm. obviously, your audience might have a different taste. But, you know, I look at some other festivals as how they're programming. I'm like, why are you taking this stuff yeah. sometimes? I'm yeah. like, like, this is only for your little niche. This is not for some of the rest of us going on here. And I get it. If that's your niche, that's your niche. But, but by doing that, you're leaving a lot of great stuff on the table that should be discovered sure. and that should be getting signed and really should be making films that are going to change things. Look, I don't need the greasy strangler part too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. You know, like I appreciate it exists. I appreciate a lot of these movies exist, but I don't need part two of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, what I want is I want the next thing. Yeah. I want the next poltergeist and yeah. I want to find the person that can give me that. Please do. You know? <laughs> what? What's that again? Yeah. I said, please, you know, like yeah, that's you know what I mean. Like yeah. I, I want everything that's going to come with that, but I, I want those things that I'm like, I mean, I want to go to a movie. I want to go to a great horror film or a supernatural film. I want to have my popcorn and I just want to have a ball when that's I'm watching it. some yeah, of this. Right. That's, like that's it. I don't want to come out of that theater and be like, man, like, 
I hate myself. You know, (laughs) it's like, I'm, I'm a fun filmmaker. That's, that's my MO personally. And, and that's, that's, that's the way I kind of approach these things. Like I, I I like to have fun. That's, that's my, that's my approach. And, and, you know, I'm going to give you a side note, you know, here of discovery, right. And this is maybe a little toot the horn thing. So my wife and I, we did a really ambitious audition film mm-hmm. um, for the Masters of the Universe movie. Um, <laughs> and so we decided to just take a big swing and let's just throw it online. Uh, well, at first, our manager was going to get it in with the casting director and all that because there was a relationship and all that. But it took too long to wait. So we were like, screw this. We're just going to post this uh-huh. online. So we posted it on YouTube and we got a million views off of it. Got a lot of attention, <laughs> got some press out of it and stuff like that. And, uh, but to come back to some of what I'm talking about, uh, it's called Tila and the Masters of the Universe, if you want to see it. It's just six <laughs> minutes. Um, it's more about presence than it is about giving, you know, sometimes people be like, she should be delivering more lines. I was like, yeah, she could, but then it's going to be a 10 minute short and you're not going to watch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. you know, we want to show the presence in her and this, and this physicality and stuff like that. And, um, so we got a lot of, did got us in with the community and stuff like that. But, you know, to this day, I'm still getting people who are like reps and stuff like that. And they've seen that. They're like, so how have you not had a meeting from this? Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me, yeah, you know dude, what I mean? Dude, dude. I, you're telling me like, it's, dude. it's hard to predict these things, right? Did the right people see it? Even with a million views, did, did the right people even see it to this day? Yeah. it's. You know? I mean, it's hard. I like, I think that the, uh, the industry, and we should wrap this up soon, but I think that the industry has taken a fucking hit, right? Because of COVID because of fucking Weinstein, because of all the stuff that has happened in this, in this business. I think the management and the agents out there were spun around and they were spun around for a fucking loop. And they're just like, holy shit, like what's happening and how's this not working and what's going on? And then suddenly streamers come in and change the whole way with movies. And now, you know, everybody was like, well, movies are fucking dead and movies aren't going to exist anymore. And then you've got like, you know, the top guns and that shit that rescued movies. So like, there's this like fucking toilet swirl of what the industry is. And I think that uh, a lot of the reps out there are just sort of like floating around in the middle of it going like, what the fuck is up and what's down and yeah, how are we doing this right fair. now? You know, and no, to be fair, to be yeah. fair to that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, you know, it's interesting. I want, I want to say what some, I, I'm going to say a couple of things that might not be popular opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say a couple of things and maybe we could d- dip into that because it does affect festivals a little bit and stuff like that too. And what, what could be coming out of it is um, number one is I kind of like the old school Hollywood model of where they own cinemas and they own theaters and they would show like pretty much their own stuff in them. I think those days are coming back. Hmm. Um, I think that I think, I think that's going to come back. And I think that could actually be a really good thing. Like they can't monopolize it. Right. But I think that could be a good thing where you could imagine, say you have Disney theaters. Yeah. You know, there's 14 screens and 12 of them are their, are their content, but it's getting movies in the theaters to audience. And if you're Disney, now you, now you close all your Disney stores and now you have a Disney store, like in the lobby and stuff like that. Sure. At Amazon, like to me, anything that gets more movies, whether they're originals for Amazon and all that into cinemas, is a good thing. Like anything that can get that going on. I, I think that needs to happen more and more because human beings are communal people. We are, we need to be around others. We need to have that experience. And yes, 
And I think part of the disconnect that we're having is the, you know, as a society as a whole, right, is we're being separated by social media. We're being separated by streaming. We need these things like live concerts, right? We need movie theaters to reconnect with people and resonate with what, with what, what people are, um, are, are feeling and stuff like that. And, and that also, that helps bridge gaps between generations and, and now you can make content that's, I mean, look, I mean, uh, comedies are dead sure. as far as cinema goes, 100%, right? 100%. And it's like, but I think part of that is because we're not playing them into cinema the same way. And we're not, we're not resonating with, with, um, what's, what's uniting, you know, uh, generations and, and, and in through trial and error and through failing, we're not discovering what succeeds. And yeah. instead we're just like, Oh, that failed. Let's not try again. It's like, no, the failures lead to the successes. Yeah, for sure, dude. I look, yeah. I agree yeah. with a lot of what you're saying there. I think that the, there's a danger with monopolization. Yeah, I think that that's is. a big fucking deal right now. And, and, and whether or not people, and we've done episodes on this, whether or not people know that that's happening, it's happened. Like it's a, there's a monopoly that exists out there that is intense. But I think that, Look, I just went to a, I forget the comedian's name. It's awful that I did. But I just went to a comedy show the other night at uh, at the Elysian, a very small theater out here in Los Angeles, very tiny fucking theater. And this guy has had HBO specials and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually going to the physical place and doing the whole like sitting with other strangers, sitting with like-minded people that you're in the space that want to see this kind of comedy, you start listening to how people are talking before the show happens. And I, I, I'm walking you through this, you young listeners through this, because I think oftentimes you hear older folks say like, you know, we have to put things back in the movie theater, but we really don't describe it. Let me give you an example. You're sitting in a space, you're surrounded by people. Now, even if you're on your fucking phone, you still hear people around you talking and you hear what they're talking about. And oftentimes people are talking about other shows that they've been to or things that they've been watching or food that they ate. And so you, you're semi-inspired. Now, maybe you're not, maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you're not someone that will directly have a communication with a stranger. You should change that. But you're actually absorbing all this stuff. Now, the comedian comes out, you're seeing everything that's cut out of the special. You're seeing the way he steps out on stage. You're seeing his awkwardness, him explaining like, we're filming this and this is going to get cut out and this is all this stuff. And he starts to connect with you. Then he looks you in the eyes as he's performing and you start to feel his presence. You can see this guy. You see all the things that they're not covering with cameras. Like he may be delivering a line that the coverage for uh, television would be on his face on a close-up, but I'm actually staring at the fact that he's fumbling with his guitar and he's got these little these little quirks that he does, which connects me with him even fucking more. And so now I'm in this space with all these folks, and then what's so great about going to a small theater like this is that afterwards he's like, I'll be at the merch table. This is some guy that was on HBO. And so like then you're out at the merch table, you have the ability if you have the balls to go up to that person and say like, I liked your show. It's really great. Or I have some questions about this stuff. And he was really cool about that. Or you could just be someone that just stands there and listens to how that person converses with all these people. Suddenly it goes from just being some random fucking selection on your phone and on your queue. And we all know how long it takes just to do a selection. You'll sit on the couch for 40 minutes, scrubbing Mm -hmm. through things, looking for some sort of connection to what that image is. And now there's a whole personal life 
experience connected to seeing something there. Now, the same thing happens with movies. The same thing happens by going to the cinema. The same thing happens when you go to film festivals. The same thing happens when you go to live concerts. And we're just brainwashed right now by Silicon Valley and their their push to take over all these industries. And that's what we're dealing with is the mindless, don't worry, step to the trough, we'll open the door and we'll feed you all the shit that you need to have. And that's it. You don't have to think about it. We'll just feed it to you. And I, I think everybody's getting a little stale on it. And, and, and so when you hear us as older dudes saying like, we need to bring more movies to the theater, it's not just to have it on the big screen. It's because of all that other shit that makes mm-hmm. it even better. Mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, I've never laughed as much watching a comedy at home as I do in a theater with an audience. Yes, dude. You know what I mean? Like a film is scarier with an audience. It's it, everything has that reality. And here's the other thing, you know, kind of the second part that we could comment on too is, you know, the strikes. I agree what they're trying to get with the strikes. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. But there's a be careful what you wish for factor here. And I say this because I did get my degree in business. I have a business mind as far as that goes. What do you think is going to happen now that you want all these things? There's going to be less content. There's going to be less jobs. <laughs> And there's going to be less opportunity to break through because they're only going to hire, for the most part, the people that are already in. Mm. Mm. So keep that in mind because that's how that's how when when a corporation, you know, when they look at their payroll and they let's say you have 100 employees and they shrink it down to 60 because they're looking at payroll and all that. Well, look at the 40 that they cut. Mm-hmm. It's not all the people with the highest payroll. What they've cut is. They've actually increased salaries, but by cutting the 40, they can save money on the payroll while still increasing salaries. Right. And that's the same thing that's going to happen. It is 100,000% what's going to happen with all these streamers. You're going to get less. Yes, they're analyzing, you know, like Marvel is doing right now, realizing, oh, we can't just keep making cookie cutter like we've done the last phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars is realizing that they probably, you know, they put out too much in it. So they're, they're analyzing. But what, ha- what does that mean when they're making less? That means less jobs, less opportunities to break through. So I leave that to being like, what's that mean for us as indies and people that are trying to break through, right? And what does that mean? How do we get through that? It comes back to what we were talking about in this podcast earlier, right? It comes back to all this finding your voice, standing out and all that, making it so you can't be ignored, Mm. right? And that might... Everybody, that might take you five or 10 or even 15 years, right? If you're 20 years old, you've got plenty of time. Yeah, you do. really do. Don't think it has to come to you now. Most directors really don't start hitting their stride and getting their big opportunities until they're in their 40s. Yeah. Most of them. Yeah. You know, like they really don't. Um, And, you know, there's the rare ones and we all hear about them and stuff. But when you look at, I mentioned Parker Finn, Parker Finn's in his mid thirties, maybe even a little older. You know what I mean? It's not, people cut their teeth and make, get their dues, right? Like it, 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 this, and all of this doesn't just happen overnight. It is a process. We didn't, Film Quest didn't just happen overnight. This is our 10th anniversary season. We've grown to the point that we're at and we're going to continue to grow, right? And that's the thing to think, like, what what do you think you're going to do once you make it? You still need to continue to grow. <laughs> right. Right. You, you know? got to keep swimming. You got to keep swimming, you know? And yeah. You got to see training those muscles, right? Yeah, you got to look like Patrick Stewart when he's 80, you know? Like, 
I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, holy crap, or Harrison Ford. I'll just, do you tell me I look like Harrison Ford when I'm 80? I'm like, I'll take that every day, you know? Like, holy sure, crap. Sure, sure. It was a shirtless shot in Indiana Jones. Hold on now. <laughs> Uh, let, me, let me pull myself off. Yeah, well, when um, you when you blend up dollar bills and make a cream out of it, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a good sense of that. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, well, look, man, we should end this episode because we're we're, we're, we're we're pushing. <laughs> no, we're pushing. Yeah, I, can I say? Can I add one more thing? And maybe you could kind of edit this towards the front. Um, sure, well, when you're whatever. Done. Yeah, yeah. What do you what uh, do you got? I actually got a. Um, I wrote uh, some guest, uh, they were kind of guest columns for rollingstone.com last year. Mm-hmm. And there was, it was a three piece article um, for how to dominate your film festival run. I would definitely recommend people seek those out on rollingstone.com mm-hmm. to search film festival or how to dominate your film festival run. And it's a three part series that really kind of breaks down in written form, um, very to the point and very, um, uh, they were, they were all limited to a thousand, like a thousand words, a column. So I, I couldn't go real deep, <laughs> but that was probably best for levity just to kind of, here we go, keep all this in mind and you're going to be set up for the future. So I wanted to kind of point out that if people want to get, uh, some, some homework and extra reading besides this podcast, yeah. I think that's a great resource to have. So go check that out. Dude, it's great. That's great. And, uh, look, I, before we go, I just want to say, uh, thank you for uh, being this honest about it, and thank you for coming on the show and just shedding some light on some ideas and some rumors that I've always had with film festivals. And um, I'm excited for this one, obviously, because I'm in it, which is great, but also I'm excited to go out there and do some podcasts out there and uh, really get to meet some of these other filmmakers. And I, what I'm trying to do because I, there have been episodes where I've bitched about fucking film festivals. And what I'm trying to do is, is find the ones that are great and find the experiences and, and sort of highlight why they're great and talk to other filmmakers. To Hopefully that this show will then become a resource um, for, these, for filmmakers that are desperately attempting to figure it out. Um, I, I literally was flying back from Louisiana on a random flight, sitting next to a guy who had his laptop up and, and film freeway up. And he was just like going through it. And I, I, I put my nose in his business and I was like, <laughs> it's kind of a bitch figuring out what festivals he goes. Yeah, it is. I have no fucking idea. And so like, my hope is that we'll do this stuff when we come to the festival, we'll shed some light on that festival. And I'll talk to other filmmakers about other festivals that they've been to and really just sort of uh, reignite uh, the passion and the fire behind film festivals. And yeah, I, I, it would be nice if we can get back to the way it felt in the nineties. Um, but, uh, you know, let's start a whole new fire with film festivals, you know, I'm a hundred percent with you. And, you know, I want to point something out about film freeway. They are aware that there's a lot of festivals out there that need to be eliminated. And, uh, but they're only like a team of five. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for like the whole company basically. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and so they, they know that there's a lot of work. And so they're trying to, they're trying to clean that up to make that better for filmmakers and make that going on. Cause they really are the King Titan. I mean, speaking of monopoly, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, they are the King Titan now. And, but that's their responsibility. And, you know, you know, there's definitely some cool things that they try to do to make it easier, but you're right. It's, it's tough. There's a lot to just, there's just a lot to navigate and find out, but you know what? We're going to get there. It's, it's, it's part of the process. People like you, Mike, uh, people like the filmmakers that are pursuing this, 
Um, and there's many of them, you know, we can make these things matter and we can, we can have a voice and, and get there. But, but the last thing I'll kind of say about that is, um, it also comes to the, to the responsibility of the film festival and the people running it. Do they, do they have the vision? Do they have the desire? Do they have the want to actually do this and help these people? And, and if they do, that could be a lot of good times ahead. And those are the ones that you should definitely look at. Um, anybody listening, but to those that, uh, to those that aren't, well, they're going to die one day, whether that's <laughs> this year or next year or 10 years from now, they can't keep it up. They can't sustain it. And so that's, that's, those are interesting, the things. And, you know, one thing I do get asked a lot from people as well, and I'll leave with this last note. Um, you're going to have to figure out how to spell it yourself, but there is a filmmaker out in Romania named Adrian Tofe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a film that he did pretty well on the circuit called the back in the day called be my cat, a found footage film. But through that, he had a lot of similar experiences and did a lot of festivals and he has a website. I think it's called, uh, Adrian Tofe. Uh, again, it's like Adrian, uh, with, uh, tofe.com. So Adrian Tofe.com mm-hmm. and on it, he has two lists, the best genre film festivals on the world and the best film festivals in the world. So oh, if you're cool. wondering where to begin, begin with his website. He's taken everything from all the best of lists, reviews, everything, and kind of created his own little you know, algorithm to kind of shoot out what, in his opinion, and based off what he's seen and all that, what the best film festivals in the world, and he kind of ranks them. So Hell yeah. use that resource. Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, Jonathan, this has been awesome. Thanks for being on, dude. Thanks for being on, brother. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you sending me come home, and I appreciate you, you know, throwing me all these goodies my way and letting (laughs) me know what you do. Yeah, man. I appreciate you watching. It's always nice. It's always nice to watch to meet someone and to feel like when you set when you're sending shit out into the sea of film festivals to feel like there's an actual person there watching. (laughs) It feels good. Yeah. Uh, absolutely it's not just a computer you know with like you know or something like a dude with just like his veins cut open and it's just like content pouring into it yeah. all the time it's like that clockwork orange bit some poor mm-hmm. bastards with uh you know a continuous flow of uh mountain dew and uh their eyes yeah. taped open yeah. yeah exactly that's that's how we survive <laughs> all right man thanks for being on dude thank you this episode in the can all right so we had a lot of light shed on some of the theories right and and some of the things that i thought were happening is actually happening but you know a byproduct of this episode was that i've got faith still in it i was finding it right that 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 little that little glow that little light lantern in the fucking cold cavern that is in my chest most of the time started to started to light up again and it's like oh right there are people that give a shit about films there are still people that care about films and as you know hard as it is to navigate through this business and and everybody's like ulterior motives whenever you're encountering business people in in the art of making movies um you you end up becoming cold and callous and and concerned and worried and and uh it's nice to hear that there are folks out there that really do care and that are trying to program great filmmakers and out there trying to support great filmmakers and jonathan seems to be that guy man i'll tell you 
as we go and we hang out and I see them at the film festival and go through the process of film quest, I'll let you know if it's, uh, if, if, if he follows through with what he's talking about on today's show, I have a good feeling he is going to, um, I'm excited. Are you excited? Are you pumped? Are you ready to go to a fucking film festival with me? We're going to do this together, man. Uh, come home trailer teaser. If it's not out already, it will be out. You guys are going to dig it. Um, big shout out again to my buddy, Jonathan Bates, big black Delta who does music on this piece. Um, you guys, I, I think you guys are going to be really triggered by his work on this. I'm excited about it. Big shout out to my buddy, Mike Tran, Mike Voltran, who did all of the, the mixing and all the sound work on this piece. And it sounds fucking phenomenal. Um, and he was also there with me as an assistant camera op. I mean, it was a really core small crew of folks. I had Gina helping me out on it. She, not only was she running as an associate producer, but she was also there helping me do makeup and set dressing with Ian. Ian Spencer was there. Um, you know, Josh, Travis, Brett on sound. Uh, so many great people. Awesome Rick. The guys from uh, the uh, creature effects. We have some real life creature monster effects in this movie. Um, we're very fucking excited. So if you're even considering coming to the film festival, you should. Um, our friends from Puget Systems, like I said, they're sponsoring it. We're doing uh, limited edition t-shirts for Come Home and for the film festival thing. I'll try to make some of those available for super fans. So if you're not a super fan yet, sign up to be a super fan by clicking the link in my Instagram bio and filling out the thing. We're going to make these like, I, I just had the shirts, I designed them and I sent them over to the printers and they're fucking awesome. <laughs> I cannot wait to get these t-shirts and they, they will be there at the film festival. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I'm missing here. It's going to be cool, man. It's going to be really cool. I'm just excited. It's good. Right? You make a movie and you're going to get to see it with people. It's, it's, it's exciting. I'm happy. Can you feel it? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the episode. Um, and uh, lots more on the way.